Sitting in the morning sun I'll be sitting when the evening comes Watching the ships roll in And then I'll watch them roll away again Yeah, I'm sitting on the dock of the bay Watching the tide roll away Sitting on the dock of the bay Hello, and welcome back to Wiseman Podcast. I am Sean Glynis, occasional film writer living in Detroit, and I'm here with Arlen Golden, a filmmaker and film programmer working in the documentary space and living in the Bay Area. How are you doing, Arlen? Always such a wonderful intro from you, Sean. Uh, So much better after hearing your voice. Thank you. Uh, I do what I can. Um... (laughs) Yeah, so, uh, you know, we're just continuing the project, obviously, here, and picking it up with uh, High School, 1968 film by Frederick Wiseman. Uh, This is a film that he shot over six weeks at uh, Philadelphia's Northeast High, Um, and I believe he uh, chose this after originally wanting to shoot at a high school in the Boston area following Titicut Follies. Um, but had to sort of escape the uh, reputation that he had uh, that had gathered around his name after Titicut Follies, um, and yeah, then we so so here we have this uh, pretty brief film um, about uh, life in high school at this t- at, at this point in 1968, which was a pretty tumultuous time in America. Um, but uh, we get into a lot of that uh, and more in the uh, second half of our episode where we talk to Stephen Mamber, who is a uh, UCLA Cinema Studies professor, and um, he has been a consistent Wiseman scholar for the last 50 years and uh, wrote a book on Cinema Verite um, and is uh probably the biggest wiseman head you will probably ever have <laughs> like yeah no, um, fr- friend of personal friend it sounded like too yeah uh at least at least uh at some point um personal friend of wiseman's but um yeah i i'm really happy i'm excited to listen back to our conversation with him because it was really enriching and uh just like uh, a lot of stuff that I had never thought about before in connections, but yeah, the guy knows his stuff and, um, he, uh, yeah. Yeah. Really, really good talk. Um, as, as you'll hear when we get there, he embarked on a sort of condensed hyper version of the project Sean and I are now doing, uh, watching all of Weissman's films. Um, but he started in January and ended at the end of March. So a pretty rapid clip writing all along the way um pretty impressive uh display of mental acuity there um yeah 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 and we should say that like if you just type in steven mamber and his his page will come up in, in google and and you can find like his his wiseman journals and also a pdf of his cinema verite book um yeah and it's it's all good stuff um and uh, before we get into high school a little bit deeper, um, of course, 
you can access uh, high school on uh, Canopy if you have it, and uh, or you can get it on Zippero.com. Um, and also, you can uh, contact Arlen and I at wisemanpodcast at gmail.com. Um, you can ask us questions. You can just make comments. You can do whatever you want. Um, and we'll see it. But yeah. yeah, do whatever you want at uh, wisemanpodcast at gmail.com. Yeah, they're coming in at a pretty rapid <laughs> clip, so it's kind of hard to keep up with. But, uh, yeah. Um, so, yeah, do, do you have any uh, high school, uh, Arlen? Do you have uh, any brief takes on, on uh, high school? Like the, the concept of high school? <laughs> <laughs> I mean... Um, yeah. yeah, let's really get into it. Uh, well, I mean, you know, we all went there. You went there, I assume. I went there. Um, we, you know, as we touch upon later, it's contrary to Titty Cut Follies, you know, um, pretty uh, universal experience relative to a mm-hmm. uh, mental institution, at least. Um, so I think, you know, it does um, change the way an audience uh, meets this Weissman film, you know, because there are all these uh, preconceptions and baggage that we all bring along about our own high school experience. And, you know, how can you not sort of compare and contrast uh, what Weissman saw at Northeast with uh, your own personal experiences? I think, you know, it's it's especially tempting to do so um, from the perspective of, you know, 50 plus years later. Um, and trying to trying to draw the similarities and, and differences um, between the instruction and the film, you know, I think um, we w- w- there there are ways that we can assume that it's it's changed a good deal, and and other ways in which it, it's probably very similar. Um, but you know, you know, I'm still uh, fifteen plus years removed from my own high school experience so it could have you know likely changed even further um for sure yeah yeah uh yeah i think um it's it's important to think about it in juxtaposition with with follies and um i think specifically what kind of made me think of uh the the connection between the two of them is this idea of performance which i know i brought up when we talked about follies um just like the the way that those inmates were uh, pushed to perform, um, the way that they're they're maybe performing in front of a camera, um, the way that they perform in front of other inmates, um, the way that they uh, hold this you know that the 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 folly is like this this review, um, and I think like with high school like i think we're kind of maybe asked to think about the similarities of how these ostensibly drastically different institutions asks you know inmates or enrolled students to perform and like whether you think that they're similar or dissimilar i guess it is is a uh, a question at the core of these two films or his project up to this point um but it's it was a very intentional choice it sounds like just from reading interviews um and so yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean it's kind of like, uh, in in a sense, like two ends on on a continuum, uh, with you know high school being sort of 
representative of like you know the, the start of your societal indoctrination and and sort of um, the ways in which all these institutions in which Weissman's interested you know seek to control and prescribe behavior um, of individuals mm-hmm. and and society and that you know something we touch upon in follies is like you know this is the last stop on the line you know you you conform or or you know we're just gonna have you hang out here for a while um and Mm -hmm. you know that's uh clearly the sort of the point um that's made evident you know from that um famous last scene uh with the you know bodies doing a job or whatever (laughs) please don't say anything to mrs c but i did she would only worry over me i am not worth it i am only a a body doing a job Mm-hmm. Um, you know that that's the the goal, right? Is to to bring you into that, um, and it's interesting, you know, throughout the film. Not, there's there's very seldom any real like pushback or um, I guess talking back. You know, like there's there's there are the scenes with the vice principal doing his disciplinarian thing, um, and then there's you know the one scene kind of later on in the film. Um, with like the the first black student we see, you know, mm-hmm. condemning the institution as like a garbage dump. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I'll say something good about the school. I'll say that uh, scientifically and technologically, Northeast is an advanced school. Uh, apart from other high schools in the country, <laughs> apart from other high schools in the country and possibly possibly in the world, also this school. Um, in those, in that particular field, is a leader. Um, as Mark has said, um, morally, socially, the school is a garbage can. Let's make some facts. <laughs> like, like, like that that class. I think I read in, in an interview Weissman was saying was like some kind of like social. Um, policy or like you know current events sort of class oh. and that like those the students in that class were actually all you know on the verge of flunking so like kind of further mm-hmm. illustrating the ways in which you know like the good students are um you know measured and and um uh you know get their accolades and and you know maybe the less good in the sense of meeting what the high school thinks their objective is uh and their service towards these students the less good students you know actually are maybe engaging in a more cerebral and and critical way uh, Mm -hmm. with with everything going on around them yeah so we kind of are just like taken from a variety of different experiences uh in the high school like you know we get to see these uh, kids being like taught certain lessons or you know these these direct interactions with like authority figures we have like a we have like a parent teacher or parent like counselor type of thing um, that we see and he comes back to um, we see just like some phys ed stuff um, and it's interesting well well first of all like the film this is the first Wiseman film to also have like this this uh, opening exterior to interior like shot pattern and um, uh, which I I really love just generally 
um, I've grown to find it like very comfortable uh, or comforting to to watch as as I've watched more of them. Um, but generally, with high school, I think we see Wiseman finding his structural identity uh, just more broadly. Like this is just a super tight film that is very persuasive and coherently narrative, despite like you know his usual lack of narration and talking heads. Like there is this is a very narrative film, um, which is just like kind of impressive. Like you kind of just for, you know, forget about it or take it for granted. Like seeing a lot of his films where you go, wait a second, this is just like, like six weeks of shooting. And, and what I just watched seems very coherent, um, of his point of view, at least, uh, without being didactic, but, but yeah, um, there, there is sort of like at the center, like you said, uh, this idea of like, um, teaching these students to be like a body doing a job. Um, and we, uh, we read a piece by, uh, Thomas Benson, who, uh, co-authored documentary dilemmas with, with Carolina Anderson. And, um, they reworked his piece later, uh, in their own book. But, um, he has a really great line that, that, that I like about, um, high school. He says, it's a film about power as it's exercised in an institution whose ostensible mission is to educate um, and I think it's important to think about what our idea of a high school is and how we, how that's compared with what we're actually seeing. Yeah. Um, I, th- I think that's something that, you know, the real Northeast high too is wrestling with, um, as much as Wiseman, you know, there's sort of this discrepancy between sort of like the espoused values of like intellectual curiosity and democracy and you know everything uh, uh, that a high school says that it's imparting upon the students and and how it's actually carried out in action by teachers and administrators which um, is much more restrictive and authoritarian you know I think there's a sense that like in the film that the that the school's setting you up for sort of like the most extreme scenario of authoritarian rule you know to the point of like like the hall monitor just like you know where's your pass uh, pass yeah you got a pass you got a pass How about you hang up Pardon me? Let's go. Yes, they For do. emergencies. Let's get on the ball. It's where, you know, wear your papers, basically, you know, yeah. why, right? And it's like, that's not something that most people would really ever tolerate in an institution outside of an educational setting. But for whatever reason, um, it, we, we see it as, as fine and commonplace, um, you know, as, as we're raising our youth. Um, but like like um you know so so we are conditioned beyond what most of us experience in adulthood but maybe you know in the back of our heads it's like well you know it's how it was in high school it wasn't so bad if mm-hmm. things ever really <laughs> took took a dive um, yeah but like yeah. i mean and I, I, he goes on to say like the the school doesn't tell them what to do but who they are and I think that that's really imp- like it's it's a process of I- identity construction, right? Like, mm-hmm. um, and like it's it's interesting because both Benson and I think Wiseman, like he accounts for 
each student's personality and ability to undermine or subvert like you know this conditioning like you said that they're going through um like you mentioned the black student or that like sort of like far out kid with the sunglasses um <laughs> like these aren't like these aren't they're not robots they're not, it's it's not like as much as this film is sort of a uh, bookended with this like factory and this product uh they aren't it's not a perfect product right it's it's people that are being conditioned to act a certain way in society and um we see that like sort of just time and time again you know there's there's the the uh very clearly the like i don't know what it is like a talent or beauty or like fashion show type yeah of thing. i was just gonna bring that up <laughs> hey what is that yeah it's certainly yeah. not appropriate but no but I, they... that's tab number 14 um you may disappear now wait a minute girls um wait a minute i think this is a good time hold it it's a good time to talk about clothes the girls came into my class today in a kulak costume and it looked just about, you know, um, as, as it was. It looks as sporty as this. If it were on someone with slimmer legs, I think it might look good. So if we get her to get a model Friday, could you find someone to model it Friday with real thin legs, honey? And girls, look, don't wear colors to school because you don't look just like that. I think, um, you know, one of the main uh, cruxes of Benson's piece is the concept of the double bind. Mm -hmm. You know, like like telling people to act in a certain way while at the same time, you know, asking them to do something contrary to that and creating this sort of state of schizophrenia. Did that ring, and, did that ring true to you? Like, did that like to your own experience? Um, well, I mean, I like, I like to think things change, you know, I think, I th think at least at my high school, which I think, you know, similar to Northeast at this time is considered like a good school um, with like students who go to college for the most part, um, you know, I would would have hoped they took some lessons uh, since then. And you know, I I do think I had a pretty um, well-rounded and you know not super oppressive high school experience. Middle school, I could tell you some stories about, but uh, <laughs> um, but I think I think as it relates, we'll save it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'd like to see Weissman's middle school. That would be amazing. Um, but the that scene you're talking about, this like pageant or fashion show or whatever, is like kind of perfectly indicative of that. Where it's like, you know, okay, you're you're giving s students space to like sort of express their individuality um, through you know fashion choices or whatever. Um, but at the same time, they're getting just like completely red and dressed down by this teacher who's just like pointing out everything wrong that with how they carry themselves, you know, how they put the outfit together. So it's like, you know, you be be an individual, you know, within these kind of certain constraints. And I mean, you know, it's 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 a balancing act when we like think about what is the film trying to say because I mean there is a degree where it's like all right it it is a high school's responsibility to to like condition and teach like students in a, a certain thing certain like they have a moral obligation to ostensibly prepare us all for life mm -hmm. um, but so like you know there is a, a 
uh, inherent power power imbalance and um, you know like like um, positions of authority and and subservient positions so there's there's like no getting around that but it's it's done in the film demonstrated to such like an extreme degree where it's like well how does anybody know how to take anything really yeah I mean, like, I think the key word that you brought up was uh, individual or like be, being individualistic, which is brought up like multiple times. And it's always brought up in like within an inconsistent message and which is like the idea of the double bind theory. But like we have like one of one of the more powerful scenes that I thought or like just more evocative is the, the kid Michael taking his detention in protest. <laughs> <laughs> and the guy is just like telling him she's just these these mixed messages about like I'm listening around safe it's all against my principles you have to stand for something yes but I think there's your principles aren't involved here I think that's a question now of uh, of uh, proving yourself to be a man it's a question here of how how do we uh, follow the rules and regulations? If there's a mistake made, there's an approach to it. I think you don't fight with a teacher. I think you ask permission to talk and ask them to listen to you. Now, this is what you didn't do. Now, if you take your detention, and after all, they didn't require much from you. The teacher felt you were out of order, and her judgment, you deserved a detention. I don't see uh, anything wrong with signing you a detention. And I think you should prove yourself. You should show that you can take the detention when given. I should prove that I'm a man, and that's what I intend to do by doing what I feel, in my opinion, is what I am doing is right. Well, are you going to take the detention? All right. I feel that you should. I'll take it, but I'm going protest. You take it under protest. That's good. Like, this kid is like being very frank about like how he doesn't believe in what he was being told and was standing up for what he believes in and doing it in very earnest admirable way and the guy the the authority figure is just like saying like basically not listening to him with any sort of good faith and just saying like right. yeah 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 that's that's good it's a good time there's there's a time and place for that which is what another uh, authority figure says uh, during a dress code meeting but um it, it, you know, there's a time and place for that, but right now you need to be a man, and what that means is to take rules and just follow the rules. And I mean, I I remember this clearly, like whether it's in school or just like just generally, like through different authority figures, whether it was like you know parents or church or school or all of them combined or sports, whatever, just being like told things that didn't make sense, but being told with conviction and just being like expected to comply yeah. without actually learning anything right. other than to just be like, you're either docile or you're in trouble. And <laughs> yeah. I, 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 yeah, I think well, there that, that sequence ends, I think like so beautifully with the line you said, where it's like, okay i'll take the detention but i'm taking it in protest or whatever and the the administrator is like okay fine you're taking it in protests because he's like it's no threat you know yeah. it's, he's not he's still complying but he's like all right you know like <laughs> think what you want kid like you know well and and benson says in his piece that like wiseman isn't using these examples to show that the teachers are inept but like he's showing the absurdity of language this film is very absurd and yeah. he's showing the absurdity of language, how empty it is, but in this institution, and like how it's just nonsense that can be wielded by by people at the top of the the hierarchy um, against like impressionable, undeveloped children. But I think what's important also 
is like a part of that, like not showing teachers just as inept is like, at least I think part of my reading is that these are people that didn't really know what to do growing up either. And now they don't know what to do. <laughs> you know, like they, yeah. they, they didn't have it figured out for them. And now they're all of a sudden being like, or they are in these positions where they're supposed to help other people figure it out and they right. don't know what to do. <laughs> right. It's like the same um, sort of institutional ethos that, you know, may have failed them when they themselves were in high school, you know, that they just keep perpetuating. And it's, it's interesting to see, you know, this, this doesn't just, um, uh, like fall upon the students. There's, um, part of, I think what makes the film narratively satisfying is, is there some, um, scenes that are like cut up and revisited throughout the film. And one of those is, is like the, the parents there, you know, just kind of trying to figure out why their daughter's failing. Mm-hmm. Um, and the dad keeps saying, like, the teacher wrote, like, fabulous on her paper. But she said Does he's fabulous. Like but yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> fabulous. He keeps coming back to that. No, 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 no. A flunking student. No, no. A flunking student shouldn't receive such accolades as fabulous. <laughs> fabulous. No, that's all I'm saying. Should it? A flunking I could see maybe a C student have a fabulous year, what? but a flunking student, why fabulous, you, why, very Why didn't you put it in reverse? Why didn't you say, why didn't you say that a student who can write fabulous papers shouldn't flunk? Shouldn't do things which will cause her to flunk. You see? No, yeah, that depends on the you language. Know, strange. I've always found that, that a man who uses the word sympathy is never sympathetic. Have you ever found that, Dr. <laughs> but Such like, a character. Like slowly throughout that sequence like it's almost like that dad is um sort of like mentally revisiting like the subservient role of a high school student because like you know by the teacher just kind of hammering his point home or administrator like um saying the same things over again that are just kind of trying to dismiss you know his concern and and just get him out of his office essentially um that uh he he his tone uh you could see it in his his body language and his facial expressions that he's kind of you know coming down off of this you know he went in there talking to his wife being like i'm gonna show Mm -hmm. this principle you know the this that and the other and and you know essentially leaves with his tail between his legs, uh, having not accomplished anything other than, you know, pretty much wasting everyone's time. Um, but, um, that scene too, shifting gears a little, um, the I think comment it's so, that he makes. well, what, what's that? You go. He, he makes that comment about his daughter's weight, right? Like, <laughs> oh, right. and it's like, <laughs> it's horrifying. She has to pass. I wish Dr. Gunnarsie was as smart as she is strong. Very strong. I'm going to ask your daughter a question. How did you feel about that remark that your father just made? And the the like principal or whatever like comes to her defense and is just like, how do you think she feels when you say that? And yeah. it's it's an interesting little snippet. I mean, obviously it's it's like jaw-droppingly like bad but um it's also gives you a sneak peek into what these kids sometimes 
have to deal with at home. Like, so they're getting just like, not only double buying stuff at school, but like I said, like, it's just like a thing that is existing within all of the, the places where they're like at the behest of, of, you know, older figures that are supposed to be their mentors or leaders. Yeah. That's, I mean, that's something that, um, Pauline Kale kind of brought up in her review was like, um, shoot, I lost my train of thought. What, I'm going to edit this. What, it, what were you, <laughs> <laughs> remind me the uh, point. Just like the, high, the, we get a sneak peek into what she feels at home. Uh, right. Okay. Okay. So, so Pauline Kale brought up, um, you know, I think a little naively, she was like, with regards to the letter at the end of the film, She's like, well, you know, this student clearly loves the school and maybe, you know, the institution gave him this love and attention that he was lacking at home that, you know, (laughs) made him so endeared to it. And he feels the school really served him and, you know, making him capable to like serve his country or whatever. And it's like, well, you know, maybe, yeah, that's the case, but maybe, you know, they could have also gave him love and attention in in a way that he didn't feel compelled to go, you know, like bomb Vietnam and and like, you know, give up his life that way. Um, Yeah. But the, yeah. So, so, you know, that really, really kind of classic Weissman scene. And I think another thing that um, I really loved about it and, as we go on to talk in the interview there, we have a different cinematographer uh, here mm-hmm. than in, in Titty Cut Follies. And something that this kind of clarified for me is sort of the subjectivity objectivity distinction where, mm-hmm. you know, Weissman at every turn will tell you his films are not objective. They're his subjectivity, but they have this like aesthetic and weight and gravitas of, objectivity because there's no um you know like like everything we've talked about it's it's the pure cinema verite right you know there's there's very little seeming mediation in the finished product but i think what it is uh for me that is like his films are structured and and shot in such a way that they are so subjective to weissman that it it mimics you know our own lived experiences and like Mm. our subjective experience you know how how you actually look at things so in this scene you know while the conversations are happening the camera's wandering you know it finds the mom like sort of just nervously tapping her fingers on the chair or you know like like um just her dad's face while while listening or something and it's kind of the way that we just engage in conversation and you know and that um in the world when like we're we're not talking right and we're just kind of looking for what's going to hold hold our attention Mm -hmm. or we notice something that someone's doing and it's like i feel like that's what's really rare in in all kinds of films not just direct cinema but you know fiction film too is there's there's always sort of the the domination of of you know the subject of the action right or or like you know you're looking at what's happening you're not really like wandering around and and sort of like taking in the scene and all the little subtleties about it so like 
because visually um, the story is is told in this way that it's like it feels objective because you know we kind of see our the world you know as subjective as we do like objectively because like you know we're mediating in real time but mm-hmm. you know we don't we don't realize that or, or think about that really yeah I, I think that's a good way to look at it uh like and it, it's interesting because like the one of the shots that he's been asked about multiple times in interviews is like the close-up on the woman with like the coke bottle glasses mm-hmm. and like he's been accused of like using that shot as like poking fun at this uh teacher and and he's just kind of like, no, I don't. I wasn't trying to poke fun. And then the interviewer is like, well, it seems um, seems like a grotesque shot. And he's like, that's fine. Like if that's what you're bringing, like. Um, yeah. But like I think overall, which I think is fair. Like I, I mean, whichever way. Like I think it's just like it's there is an absurdity. And like you said, sometimes you are focusing on things because they stick out to you. Um, but I think like, and I kind of mentioned this before, and we talk about it a little bit with Steve. But um, I mean, the way that that Wiseman Cinema has progressed uh, over the last like thirty years or whatever is like the dominant mode that like I really come to crave, and so the high school aesthetic is not my favorite, but at the same time, like. I admire so much that that like this exists that not a whole lot looks like this right mm-hmm. um, but yeah so the cinematographer is Richard Lederman who is a, a Canadian uh, he shot rad people I know that was the one that stuck out to me too yeah and uh, some other more serious <laughs> stuff that we talked about with Steve but um, I, I from what I've heard he didn't receive a whole lot of support as a as an artist and just became like a hired hand for TV projects but um, right. Carolyn mentioned on our interview that uh, he was like in love with his new zoom lens and you can definitely see that <laughs> taking place. Yeah. Yeah. Especially on like girls butts. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. But there, I, I guess that is further kind of along the theme of like um, deconstruction and de-individualization, yeah. the re- the reduction of of people to bodies, right, right, um, sort of a um, militarization. Right. I mean, you know, straight up the not only the Simon Says, but the like Tarzan holds yeah. or whatever uh-huh. the the parallel rings. Um, you know, like like all this physical conditioning, and I mean, I I think I think I learned from talking to people that this is unique but in illinois we uh, had five days pe required uh, throughout high school um which is kind of an interesting thing to think about i mean there's there's like the health uh you know argument to be made certainly but you know it's it is you do wonder like to what end mm-hmm. um i'm not complaining i like gym class but <laughs> Yeah, uh, one of the other things I was kind of speaking about, like, uh, gestures and bodies and stuff, um, that while reading the Benson piece, which, like, by the way, like, if you are listening to this and be like, ooh, I want to read this, this is, again, something you can email us about, and we'll help you access them. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, in Benson's piece, he, he brings up an interesting point regarding, like, the lack of information that we're given in, in a Wiseman film. 
uh, or at least that's the way I took it. But um, and he's talking about the Spanish teacher in the beginning of the film and like her like sexual yeah. gestures. And, I know. Yeah. And then like says it's 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 not important to find out what her behavior meant in that classroom situation, but to reckon right. with how how like how likely viewers are to apprehend this scene. And, and I think this right. particular scene has to do like, it, it's interesting with the double bind stuff because it's students getting to experience sexual gestures in this one instance. while we see so many other instances of them just being told to repress them. Um, but mm. more broadly, I wonder about this idea with Wiseman and how we're like supposed to read certain ex- like scenes and read into experiences without context. Yeah, I mean, it, it's a tricky thing, and I think, you know, there's some, and I might tend towards this, but I think, you know, Benson's, like, just a little bit horny in his analysis, <laughs> and, like, um, you know, it's a rhetorical analysis. It's all good to to bring, you know, um, your own uh, readings and interests, but I think, like, the just and he he acknowledges that by the end of the piece you know this could just be me but i think he does make a lot of assumptions about how an audience might take things and even you know at at times threatens to to try and discern you know weissman's intentions and things and um you know i think he he feels like he he kind of found the, the code um to decipher the film um and he might have but i think you know it it is what it is a filmic uh element right like we're talking about the teacher in the film we're not really talking about the teacher at northeast high right and so like threading that needle is is difficult and interesting um but you know i, I when for instance, if he's going to be making assumptions about, you know, what audiences might be taking from a certain sequence, you know, that none of that was impressed upon me when I watched that sequence, mm. I think. So I think when I uh, read Benson's take on it, you know, it, it was a bit of a roadblock for me because I, I was like, well, you know, I, th- I think you're making a lot of assumptions here. And and um, but just generally, know, like, yeah. so say say like you're watching City Hall and okay. you're I did that yes um <laughs> and you're seeing like meetings and um right. you don't know who's in them and you're trying to deduce like what they're talking about um it's interesting to think and i don't have like any i like answers like i just like do as much as i can as what makes sense and then rewatch them and hopefully more makes sense and and s- study just generally his work and try to try to think about what what is the most like progressive way to think about his his uh his cinema but like it's an interesting question of what we're supposed to do in order to make our opinion about what he's saying about boston city hall like is this a project that is funded is it not like eventually is it never going to be funded does he only care that this is like a project that is sounding good because that's all we get, you know. Right. It, it's it's really interesting to to think about, and um, I guess maybe we'll we'll go ahead, we'll be thinking about these as we go ahead. But like, at the same point that his films are like very much ethnographic documents, 
the lack of information makes them also so personal to him and also so open to the viewer. And I think that that is like sort of like uh, the core to why he's so important. Yeah, I mean, the the thing that there's no getting away from is that um, he shoots hundreds of hours, right? And it's like, of those hundreds, um, here's what he selected as, you know, um, emblematic of what he saw and like you know uh, he could have shown you so many things that he's not showing you he's showing you this thing so yeah. it's like why is he showing you that mm-hmm. and you know what what does he think that means uh, in terms of the overall structure of the film and, and message of the film as it relates to the real life institution and and um, you know I've, I've read in interviews he's saying He's not a pharmacist. He's not, um, uh, in terms of like prescribing mm-hmm. solutions, that's not what he's setting out to do. He just sees himself, I guess, more so as a recorder where he's like transmitting information and allowing a lot of people to exist in the space mm-hmm. and see what he sees, you know, back to the subjectivity yeah. thing. Um, uh, and, and, you know, then they can say something is wrong or maybe nothing is wrong like like we talk about later you know the the i think the principal saw the finished film or or you you were saying there was a education official in boston who saw the film and and said you know it looks looks like a good school to me yeah i think both like i think uh there's a politician who who is like very conservative and against segregation and she really liked the film but also i think um high school officials saw it and really liked it until they saw until they heard you know word the reaction yeah yeah but yeah um yeah um i mean that's that's kind of that's kind of all i i i have one last question like we we uh gosh we cover so much with steve uh in the second half um but one of the things that i was kind of interested in um is because like I, I think high school has been talked a lot about in terms of like juxtaposition with um, the uh, military one, um, basic, basic training, training. Yeah. Um, and how they're sort of playing with each other, and which mm-hmm. that makes sense, um, but especially with the ending of high school, which is just like For a sure. perfect ending. But um, uh, I'm also interested in how this relates to meat. I've not seen meat, but I'm interested in how <laughs> it relates as like a actual factory that is producing like a product yeah yeah i i haven't seen meat yet either looking forward to it i mean um i think it's one of those ones where you just kind of like oh do i really want to watch a whole weissman film about that (laughs) (laughs) but but i'm glad we're doing this project so we could get there but i mean yeah the i mean as it relates to basics training i mean in the like narrative of like Weissman's oeuvre like if we're gonna sort of move these films around in terms of like life experience you you could go directly from high school to basic training like literally right yeah like and and a lot of people do and did um and it's interesting too that you know Weissman assumed and he that he was going to be filming a successful school and that this is only his second film but he's already starting to talk about the more films he makes the more pessimistic he gets <laughs> <laughs> yeah. because it's like you know he 
and I think, you know, again, only being his second film, he probably um, does come with uh, assumptions like we all would in that situation. But as he goes along, he keeps saying he tries to completely just remove any assumptions he has and, you know, let let the experience of the institution just sort of happen um, to him or, or let yeah. him capture that, rather. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I'm excited to keep going. Did you have anything else in high school? Um, a good movie. Uh, <laughs> it's it, it it it's. I think we should note it's the first of only two Weissman films to be preserved by the Library of Congress. Mm. Um, so you know it it is kind of like a canonically significant film. I think it was like three years later that um, Hospital was uh, inducted as well. Um, but to date, those are the only two. Um, I'm, yeah, I'm sure, I'm sure they won't be the last, but, um, yeah, I mean, he's, he's batting two for two so far. It's pretty good. Yeah. Uh, yeah. One of the things, um, as we sort of segue into the, the chat with Steve, like that I really enjoyed and that I hope, like, I, I think it was a pretty long interview, but, um, I would encourage you guys to listen to it all because it's, like I said, just really, uh, a lot uh, there has, is just like sort of connected for me in ways that I hadn't thought about before. But he talks uh, about the like under talked about Wiseman gems, even within like you know the Wiseman mm-hmm. head community, whatever is just yeah. like. Uh, and I really appreciated that, and a lot of them I haven't seen, and I'm really excited to do that. But um, I, I I think um, yeah, it was a good time, uh, and so yeah. email us. Good shout out for Zoo. Good shout out for Zoo. I love that one. High school too, yeah. A lot of, yeah. A lot of good stuff. Um, um, I would uh, be remiss if I didn't, I guess, depending on when this comes out, but if you're listening to this close to when it comes out, um, there might be a online film festival uh, called Prismatic Ground happening right now. It's uh, April 8th to the 18th. I want to say I should know that that sounds right though um yeah April 8th to the 18th it's um being put on by the Maisel Center in Harlem we talked about the Maisels uh, very tangentially um and programmed by N.A. Prakash um and uh I mentioned uh on last week's episode Carolyn asked if anyone was a filmmaker and I said I made a short called Backyard and you can watch it in this festival um, it's all experimental docs, so if you're listening to this, you're probably in the right mindset already. And um, program stacked. Uh, I know, Sean, you'll be interested in um, Bill Morrison's recent films mm-hmm. are all screening mm-hmm. there. Um, they're doing a Lynn Sachs retrospective. Um, Sophie Rambari's most recent film is there as well. It's, uh, it's a really solid lineup, so you could see uh, a lot of stuff and something I made, too. Very cool. And now, our chat with Stephen Member. Drums, roll! So today we have with us uh, Stephen Mamber, 
uh, cinema studies professor at UCLA, also the author of Cinema Verite in America, as well as many other publications, including some experimental film studies apps on John Ford, David Lean, and, and Stanley Kubrick. Uh, but most recently, um, Steve just wrapped up a project titled F Frederick Wiseman, A Journal, which much like this podcast was a film by film look uh, at uh, every Wiseman film. Um, so first of all, how are you doing, Steve? I'm doing real well, and I'm glad to be speaking with you guys. I think your project is a, a really useful, interesting one. Thank you. We're glad to have yeah. you. So, um, yeah, you just wrapped up your uh, your Wiseman Journal project, uh, like literally like three days ago. Um, so uh, it's it's nice to have you sort of like fresh off of that. Um, and uh, I, I guess like before we get into that even more, um, just kind of wanted to, to find out how you first became interested in, in Wiseman. Okay, sure. Um, I guess it goes back to when I was an undergraduate at Berkeley in the late 1960s. And uh, I was going through one of those uh, uh, career turmoil things that undergraduates often do. And I had been a math major and uh, uh, I, I was okay at math, but I wasn't brilliant. And I didn't think I wanted that to be my career. So sometime in like my junior year, I was uh, uh, scouting around on the Berkeley campus and I fell in with some drama people. There was no uh, film program there at that time. Uh, there was one course taught by Ernest Kallenbach, who was the editor of Film Quarterly, who uh, became uh, well-known later in uh, uh, Ecotopia circles. Uh, and his course was a real eye-opener for me. But uh, somewhere in there, I think it was my senior year, um, while I was uh, uh, ushering at a lot of uh, plays in San Francisco, there was a San Francisco Film Festival. And I went and saw just about everything that was playing there. And one of the things that was playing there was high school. And uh, I knew nothing about <laughs> Wiseman. I knew hardly anything about documentary. But uh, that film just had a real impact on me uh, uh, the, fir the first time I, I saw it. You could just tell that the person who made it was a really smart guy and that uh, he had a lot of uh, different ideas about how films should be put together. And uh, I think one thing that uh, struck me right away that uh, I've still kind of carried through to this day and that kind of got me going in film studies is um, I really like films that are uh, if not ambiguous, at least can be read on multiple levels. And uh, uh, you might see it one way when you look at it one time. And if you think about it further or you talk about it with other people or you read some articles about it, um, you start see, uh, saying, oh, there were other things going on in that film that, that I hadn't noticed uh, the, the first time. So um, anyway, from seeing high school that first time and in my senior year, I kind of figured out, well, you could do film studies and then there were uh, hardly any places to do it. You could go to UCLA, USC or NYU and that was about it. And uh, I picked UCLA and uh, that turned out to be fortuitous with regard to documentary because the chair of the department was this guy named Colin Young who uh, went on to become the head of the National Film School in Britain. But he was very connected to uh, uh, Ricky Leacock and with uh, the, the uh, uh, Cinema Verite uh, filmmakers, Maisels and uh, uh, Pennebaker. Uh, I also, in my first year at UCLA, I, I, I started writing about film uh, 
quite a bit. I was already doing it at Berkeley in the uh, uh, Daily California in this, the school newspaper. And when I went down to Los Angeles, I, I just started writing all over the place. I wound up in a few years being a film critic on Pacifica Radio. I think I was trying to follow in Pauline Kael's footsteps a little bit because she had done that in, uh, uh, in, in San Francisco. But uh, I wound up interviewing uh, Pennebaker sometime in that first year. And I started learning a little bit more about what was kind of going on with these films. At that time, uh, nobody had written uh, really anything about it in America. There was a certain amount in France, the uh, Cahiers uh, critics had written some stuff. And there was one very good book called Living Cinema by uh, Louis Marcarel. Uh, there was about the American filmmakers. Um, we can get into later, I guess, that whole business of, do you call it cinema verite or do you call it direct <laughs> cinema or is it observational cinema, whatever. Uh, I kind of hate that whole discussion because I think it, it doesn't really matter what you call it. Uh, and there are just some characteristics that we can talk about that are what, that are, uh, uh, what, what make a difference. But um, I thought what I was doing was kind of looking at uh, what was different about the American filmmakers because um, the, the French, most particularly uh, Jean Rouche and uh, Chris Marker, had uh, their own way of doing things. They were a little bit more into uh, interviews and they were a little bit more into uh, uh, let's show the, uh, uh, the footage that we've shot to the people who uh, are in our films, uh, that, that kind of thing. And uh, what became pretty clear to me quickly is that the Americans just had their own way of doing things. What I should say though is that um, we're talking now kind of early 70s, it was impossible to see these films. Uh, you could see them occasionally at uh, film festivals and it was uh, very lucky with Wiseman that uh, uh, the Los Angeles uh, uh, Film Exposition did uh, a series of a few of his uh, earlier films. But uh, what I very naively did as I was figuring out that I wanted to write more about these films is I just wrote to all of the filmmakers and I said, could you send me your films? And at that point, <laughs> sending your films meant 16 millimeter films. Yeah. And to a person, they said, no, we're not going to do that. It takes too long and it's too <laughs> expensive. And who are you anyway? You're just this, uh, you know, they didn't quite say it that way, but it was like, um, uh, you're just a student that can't send all, all of my films to you. But um, I, I figured out that the the major players and Colin Young was very helpful in uh, uh, advising advising me on this. Uh, is uh, uh, I wanted to talk to Leacock, I wanted to talk to the Maisels brothers, I wanted to talk to Pennebaker, and then all of them had worked for Robert Drew, and Drew was the person who had the films, and he had a company that was still making films, partly with these people, but they were already kind of splitting up and going their their own way, but. Um, I saw that if I wanted to see all of the, the Drew films and then all of these others, that uh, uh, New York was one of the places uh, to go. And then the other was Leacock had already moved to MIT and uh, was the head of their film program. And he very smartly figured out that the technology was changing drastically and that he set up his program to to uh, uh, do digital video, and this is in the early 70s, which is really uh, 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 the prehistoric age for doing this kind, this kind of thing. But anyway, he was in uh, at MIT, and then Wiseman, right from the get-go, was just the nicest guy. And uh, <laughs> uh, he just said, well, uh, I would love to talk with you, and I'll be happy to show you, show you uh, 
my films, which at that point was about four of them, I think. Uh, but he said, you got to come to Cambridge to, to do it. So um, I figured out, well, I better go to uh, New York for a couple of weeks and I better spend a week in, uh, uh, in Boston. And that would be the way I could see all of these films. And uh, I had no idea at that point of a book or anything else like that. It was just, I, I had to see these films and talk to all of these people. And uh, that turned out to be a great experience. It had its uh, difficulties. I had to hang around uh, Drew Associates quite a bit to get him uh, to uh, project films for me. But eventually he was pretty cooperative uh, 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 too. And then uh, my time in Boston was just great. And uh, both Leacock was uh, very talkative and very helpful. And then uh, Wiseman just, uh, I was immediately a, a buddy of his. And we went to lunch a bunch of times and he showed me all of his films and he just could not have been uh, uh, nicer. When uh, I eventually went back to, to Los Angeles, I stayed in very good touch with uh, Wiseman. And uh, I considered him more just a friend than somebody I was interviewing. And I really didn't do formal interviews. And uh, I was just really struck right from the beginning, like what a, a, a curious film person that he was, and really just a curious person about, every, about everything. He was just wonderful to talk to about uh, uh, anything he would ask about or anything that I would ask about. And I would say there were several years there where we uh, talked pretty regularly on the phone, but um, not that often about his films, I would say. Um, he would always answer questions about them when I had them, so it wasn't like he was uh, reserved about it. But uh, um, uh, what struck me was he was really interested in filmmakers who uh, uh, I think, while they were very often fiction filmmakers, were ones I would say were kind of like him in the sense that uh, they were filmmakers who were um, uh, 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 doing very complex kinds of structures to their films, I would say. And I would say a couple that really uh, uh, came out that we talked about a lot was he was really interested in Luis Buñuel. And I think you can, uh, in a way, see that in his films in a, in a few ways. The uh, ambiguities are are one of those, but I I, I think there's always been a kind of like surrealist uh, sensibility to uh, to to Wiseman. You know, he, uh, he's certainly ironic, but I think it sometimes goes uh, a little further than that. It's like um, he's seeing things that uh, uh, he just knows are either crazy or dreamlike or have a, a kind of surrealist sensibility. So anyway, I remember very well our talking on the phone at some length about discreet charm of the bourgeoisie, for for example, or Belle de Jour. He just was really interested in those uh, uh, in, in those movies. And we did have uh, some Kubrick discussions as well that were kind of along uh, the same lines. So while we're talking about my kind of experiences with Wiseman, just to get that part out of the way, I can bring it up to uh, uh, the early 1980s. And he had just done his uh, four films at, in uh, Talladega, you know, Blind and Deaf and uh, uh, work and adjustment and multi-handicap. And uh, he was invited by um, uh, the, the LA Film Festival to show all of those films. And uh, he came uh, uh, to do that. And he said, well, let's get together while he was there. And that, that turned out he brought his films and uh, I took him around in my Volkswagen to the uh, locations where he was showing those. And it's hard to realize now, but even like in the, uh, I would say early 1980s, he wasn't that big of a name and uh, yeah. uh, people weren't flocking to see his films. And I think also it was kind of the challenging subject matter of these films. 
they were shown in two successive uh, afternoons of two films uh, a piece. There were something like eight or 10 people that showed up regularly to, to both of those. <laughs> and he was great about that, though. He didn't really care about how many showed up. But after the, the screenings each of those days, uh, he answered questions for just hours both both times. And uh, uh, he was just so gracious and uh, uh, so interested in getting people's reactions and, ta and talking about the, the films. And then there was also one evening when some of my colleagues wanted to go meet with him. And he said, sure, bring them around to the lobby of this hotel. And uh, we talked there for hours as, uh, as well. So he just couldn't have been nicer all of the times uh, that, uh, uh, that I had interaction with them. Uh, sometime in the mid 80s though, um, uh, I got interested in other things or I never have really considered myself like just a documentary person. I did write one book, but it was really just because uh, I was uh, 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 so interested in those filmmakers and uh, uh, wanted to uh, uh, get my ideas out and also get more interest in those uh, uh, films. Uh, mid 1980s, I got very interested in digital media and in uh, uh, also uh, all along, I, I think I would uh, kind of fancy myself pretty much a kind of a, a, a tourist in terms of my interest in film. And uh, the courses I was teaching were things like uh, uh, courses on Wells and Hitchcock and Max Ophuls and uh, Joseph Losey, just all kinds of, uh, I thought, really great uh, filmmakers that I was interested in uh, uh, teaching and studying and writing about myself. So um, uh, I would say in the 80s, I just uh, uh, stopped uh, paying as much attention to documentary as uh, uh, as I had. I would still try to see films when I, when I could, but I didn't really think of myself as uh, kind of a documentary film person. And in terms of Wiseman, I think around then, uh, we just kind of lost touch. Uh, I wrote a piece about meat in uh, the New Republic, and uh, I did things here, here and there, but I just uh, kind of drifted on into uh, other things. So that uh, sort of led me, I think probably your next question would be about the journal that I just uh, 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 did. I, I think uh, yeah. uh, eventually I started feeling incredibly guilty about uh, um, having lost touch with both Wiseman's films and uh, 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 he himself. <laughs> and uh, I, I'm not back in touch with him yet, but uh, one of the things that's been great about looking at him is uh, you've seen and also you've done yourself is he does great interviews and he's been interviewed so extensively everywhere. I was saying, oh, there's really a lot of things he's been saying that uh, I wanted to think about further and see in relation to his films. And uh, I'll even admit there were about six of them that uh, uh, I had never seen. And so I was feeling very guilty about that uh, as, <laughs> as well. But also I really kind of stopped doing uh, 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 a look at his films somewhere in the mid eighties there. And I would uh, uh, sometimes see them then when they were on PBS as you've already pointed out in uh, uh, you know, your first po podcast. It, it, it has been kind of difficult to see his films. And the the uh, availability now on uh, Canopy is a is a real game changer. So uh, I wanted to take advantage of that too and see uh, not just the ones that I hadn't seen, but I thought 
this was the this was my time to really give a kind of uh, a tourist look at Wiseman, and uh, also it, it became for me a kind of a pandemic activity too. That uh, yeah, stuck at home. I this was a, 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 a good opportunity to kind of uh, uh, if I'm streaming stuff, I've spent enough time with uh, TV series that I shouldn't have spent as much time with as I had. Why not uh, try to use my time a little better and, uh, and and look at all of these films? Also, I was really interested in trying to do this as a journal, where I take a journal to be, let me just write my uh, reactions to these films uh, right after the time that I see it. And I didn't want to go back to any of the scholarship about wise men or reread any of the um, uh, 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 of the interviews. I, I have kind of done that. Uh, uh, you know, through the through the years, but I thought this would be the time where I could just uh, let me start with the first one, kind of like what you're doing too. And my plan was uh, I would do one every other day, and then the day in between, that's when I would write what I what I could. And uh, what I could turned out to be, I could uh, I think scrape uh, together about five decent pages every day. It got a little longer. Uh, as I did this, because I think I got uh, better at writing quickly. That was another thing that uh, I thought I would give a try to is that I feel like I've been a kind of a slow writer all along. And I just wanted to see, could I do this in a little bit more of a conversational sort of a way? Uh, also, I've missed my opportunities for uh, talking with people like we're, like we're doing now. And uh, I wanted to write these in a way where I was just imagining I was either uh, in a coffee shop somewhere or I think they they turned out a little bit more like uh, what a seminar meeting would be a little bit, and uh, I would be uh, uh, trying to get my my ideas uh, uh, across. But I I didn't go back and read stuff. I didn't go back even and look at uh, uh, at my own uh, book. I just thought, let me start with the first one. And also, obviously, I wanted to see um, what difference it made to look at them all, all 43 or 45 or whatever the number turn, turns out to be, depending how you how you count them. What was it like to try to look at them all as one film? And that's that's an idea. I think uh, Francois Truffaut should get the, the credit he deserves and doesn't uh, very often get for that idea. He said about the films of Jean Renoir, that they really should be looked at as one continuous uh, film and that each film was uh, uh, an additional chapter or additional sequence in that life's work that they were they were doing. And I think with uh, most great filmmakers, that that is a very useful way to do it. And with, with Wiseman too, and uh, I think Sean, you, you got a very uh, 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 useful quote out of him in your interview where he did say something to the uh, effect of when he's doing one of his films, uh, he thinks very much of the other films that he's done previously and is, a, is aware of it. And uh, uh, I think one of my takeaways from seeing all of his films that I kind of knew already, and we could talk about other, other things that I, I responded to, is um, um, uh, I knew already he was a very smart guy. But when you see all of the films, I think that awareness that he knows what he's doing, but also that he's referencing back to previous hmm. films and that um, sometimes scenes, uh, you hear lines of dialogue or there are situations where you just know he's kind of saying, okay, you've seen me, so now I'm doing something 
that uh, re references back to it, or just time and again, I just felt like I was in one big movie. So I found it to be an incredibly productive uh, experience to see them uh, 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 to see them all together. And also, I think that um, uh, uh, what what's really striking about his films is that, is that um, uh, and this can get us back into the cinema verite kind of stuff that I think is useful of what distinguishes Wiseman from the other other filmmakers is um, uh, I think they really do invite a range of reactions. And uh, I was struck just with myself that when I was seeing these again, I was seeing them in a very different light than I than I was before. But I think they're almost constructed to invite different points of view. And uh, that's what that's what makes them great to talk about and great to write about and great to do podcasts about. I think and to talk to lots of people about what their what their uh, what their reactions are. They're really structured that uh, that way. So uh, uh, time and again, I kept thinking, oh, this wasn't the film I remembered at all, or when it was films I hadn't seen. It was uh, uh, from the title, I would guess what I was going to expect. Uh, they just never were that. They really weren't. I was time and again just absolutely surprised both by what the content of the films were and then how I was reacting to them seeing them this way. Well, that was a pretty long-winded answer. <laughs> uh, so no, that I was great. I should apologize for that. But No, no, definitely okay. not. Yeah, um, most welcome. Yeah. Uh, well, I, I mean, first of all, I think it's, it's fortuitous that uh, you said like you had this first strong reaction to high school uh to uh, for us to have had you on this episode to, to talk about high school specifically um which is yeah just just really cool um and i think before we we sort of get into a more granular talk about high school um we should just kind of like you know mention what it is for people which is uh you know this this uh short documentary, uh, well, short by Wiseman standards as, as we go on to see, but um, uh, about Philadelphia High School, this Northeast High School um, that uh, I believe, I think from from what I've heard a couple of times, Wiseman was like going to originally do, he knew he wanted to do a school, which again, like, or he, he, he always frames it uh, referen like referencing Titicut Follies, like kind of going off what you were saying. He's like, well, I, wanted, I did this film on the criminally insane. Now I wanted to do a high school. And he always says it as if like everybody kind of knows what, what he's saying or knows some like what he's trying to say with this juxtaposition. But um, what I've been reading is it's like um, he, he saw it as a, a a supposedly successful institution i think was was his oh, aim sure. was was right. to go somewhere that you know he heard northeast was a quote-unquote you know good yeah. successful school and and what did that look like compared to you know bridgewater and i think he was originally like like i said thinking about doing one in boston but there was still sort of like quote-unquote like stink on his name as far as like what was happening with the tadika follies thing and then he had a friend you know say uh or a friend that worked on the board, the school board in Philadelphia and like told him to, you know, come on down. And that's how that happened. But uh, Steve, you've now written about uh, high school a few times over the years, like, you know, spanning what 50 years now. Um, and as early as, you know, 1970, you wrote uh, in, in you know, this film quarter, film quarterly piece. Um, so I guess just specifically looking at high school, can you kind of talk about what, what that was like visiting at this time, but also have you, has, is this something that has, you've lived with over the years? 
Yeah, I, I, I think I, I do look at it differently now. So I'll try to put myself back in the, the time frame when, when I, when I, when I first saw it. Or if people are just approaching it now, I think it is one of the most accessible of the Wiseman films. And Absolutely. I'm really glad he did it. And it is, uh, 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 I think, pretty intentionally a, a, a humorous film and a pretty uh, accessible film. But I'm also glad he didn't do 45 more versions of, of high school. Uh, I look at it now as pretty early Wiseman. And I'm glad he made it. But mm -hmm. I'm also glad he didn't do uh, any more that were like it. And that's where maybe we should start talking about this institutional business with, with him. And the coming off of Tinnicut Follies, it looks like, oh, he's going to be the person who's going to do these films about public tax-supported institutions, uh, where he's not going into uh, the private lives of the, the people, and he's not following a single person uh, uh, around. And it is kind of a characteristic of uh, cinema verite that if you just follow people around, they'll often think that they're coming across very well. But uh, the film can be open enough that other people will see it very differently. And clearly with high school, they did see it very, very differently. And uh, it's, it's a film that's usually taken as, uh, uh, I think, both an attack on education or a film that's highly critical of, uh, of, of education. But um, uh, also uh, uh, extending beyond the film to the values that it's, that it, that it's, that it's expressing, that it's uh, uh, very involved in trying to force kids to not be very imaginative. And it's too much concern with controlling sexuality. And of course, there's the whole military aspect of it too. And it's all leading up to, although I hope we talk about it a little bit, um, not, not to be a, a spoiler if you haven't uh, uh, seen the film, but the, the big final scene where the uh, principal is talking to the other teachers and uh, uh, utters the immortal line that, uh, uh, to me, when I get a letter like this, because she's gotten one from uh, <laughs> a kid who's gone to, to, to Vietnam and uh, 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 says in his letter that he's only a body doing a job, she says, uh, when I get a letter like this, it means uh, we're doing a very good, good job here. Well, that, that I think, and I think Wiseman said this too somewhere, that he did show the film back in Philadelphia and that they were completely mm -hmm. fine with it. And the yeah. principal in particular thought it was very good. Maybe you've read more about it recently. I think than... one of the things that I've seen him mention a couple times is that uh, in, like, yes, the school saw it. And then I believe like, um, you know, critics started to uh, spell it out, especially like probably Pauline Kael's review specifically, but uh, trying to, you know, articulating um, the ways that it can be, you know, seen as this attack on education. But what's really funny in like this whole like showing it back business and, and uh, you know, is indicative of his style in general is uh, he always, or he's, he's mentioned this Boston politician that saw the film early and uh, thought it was, a great film about good schooling and and this Louise Day Hicks who is very like much against like segregation and she was just like this is great like this is <laughs> this is just a school doing the job you know uh, and which he was like he thought was interesting but also just kind of like I think he kind of saw it as a point of pride of like saying like you you do bring yourself to these works and and, and read into them. Yeah, there's kind of a history of that with Cinema Verte. And again, I'm just using that term just to refer yeah. to all of these filmmakers that, 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 we're, that we're talking about. But um, uh, 
I think one of the other famous examples of this was uh, there's a film called Meet Marlon Brando that uh, the Maisel's brothers did. That's uh, Brando doing a series of uh, interviews where he obviously hates be, being there because it's the same questions uh, one, one after one after another. Um, uh, he was fine with the film until other people started telling him how badly they thought he came <laughs> off uh, in it. There's a number of the the Drew films that uh, that this happened with uh, uh, too. Also, the the Maisel's brothers with Salesman, uh, which was the first kind of feature length cinema verite uh, film that uh, got released commercially. Uh, that's another one where I think the Salesman come across very badly, but uh, uh, they were fine with it when they when they first saw it. Um, and if there, I think if there's one idea about cinema verite that I would really want to push where I think I, I, I stand apart from a number of the people who have written about uh, these films is I think it really does matter that these are real people and real situations and that Wiseman hasn't told them what to say or told them what to do or asked them to do something over again so that he could uh, uh, he could he could film them and part of his attraction to this material even in high school I think is that there are different ways you can look at this stuff and that's because uh, uh, reality or whatever you want to call it, that world out there that's being filmed uh, is full of complexities. And we have to, in our daily lives, read the, uh, how we respond to things that uh, uh, we, we encounter. So why shouldn't that be the case with films? And of course, what they're reacting against are all of those documentaries that want to tell you what it is that you should think about what you were what you were seeing and you could do a film about northeast high school and do exactly that right you could say oh here are my examples of uh, all of the terrible things the teachers are doing and maybe this is a progressive one or maybe it's not but um, i think they're scene after scene even as much as you might think that the deck is stacked in high school, where you could still say, um, oh, I could see other things going on here, or I think this one is better than that one, or um, this one suggests more uh, uh, positive possibilities. Uh, it's still a film that allows you to argue about it in, a, I think, a very a very productive way. Um, one thing, too, I hope that people can get, a, get away from, and this I, I argue for strongly, is I don't think even with high school that it's a film where you want to say, what were Wiseman's real intentions with this? And to view the film as one where he's kind of sneaking his message in. And even in a film that I think does kind of go further than most of his towards uh, uh, pretty clear viewpoints, I, I don't think you want to uh, view films. I, and I would say not just Wiseman's, but, but lots of films where you don't view them as puzzles where you're trying to... Uh, solve what it is that the filmmaker is really trying to get across to you. You should view it as an invitation to think about the issues that are raised as you watch the, the film and that uh, you might want to see what other people's opinions about it are and think about what are the questions that are that are that are coming up in the film. Uh, that's where a couple of other things about uh, high school just while I'm thinking uh, thinking about uh, about this off the top of my head a difference with uh, Titicut Follies that's uh, already kind of uh, kind of evident is uh, Titicut Follies is a film where after you see it you could say that's a solvable problem 
you could say, oh, with enough money or enough concern, uh, you could you could change this. And as uh, uh, bad as the things that you see in the film are, uh, you could you could think that you could see solutions to it. Maybe they're uh, the solutions that uh, viewers would see might be uh, more uh, simplified than they than they ought to be. But it looks like a film that sets up a problem that it could have to solve. When you see high school, I don't think there's a solvable problem there. I don't think you can say, uh, um, well, there's the school is doing things wrong. If they are doing things wrong, it's the whole society that's doing things yeah. wrong. Or there are attitudes of the parents as well as the teachers and as well as a lot of the students too. Uh, it's it's a little bit more difficult to pinpoint where where the, the, the problem is. That's where I think Wiseman has kind of been disliked by uh, uh, critics who want documentaries to be a little bit clearer about how can how can we deal with the issues that the film is is bringing up he's just not that kind of uh, filmmaker and even if you look at high school which now I think we would we would want to look at as early uh, wise men and that he's gotten away from uh, uh, I, I think the more kind of uh, didactic possibilities that are in the uh, the film that even here it's a film that should be thought about and argued about and uh, questions about what level to take it are still very much there. So uh, I don't know if that kind of gets to the question you were asking. Um, yeah, well, I think I think it certainly gives us a lot to consider. Um, and, and before we go on uh, for listeners, I just want to mention your journal um, can be read at momber.film uh, TV filmtv.ucla.edu slash Weissman. Um, and it, it's, it seems like a, a cat quote unquote casual endeavor. Uh, and, and, you know, the way you're writing about it, in fact, uh, you should probably get a letterboxed account and start posting this on there. Um, but it's, it's very, uh, uh, inviting and enjoyable to read and, and would recommend that to anyone listening. Um, but I could just mention one thing with that too, that, uh, yeah. on the first page, there's a link to my, uh, UCLA uh, webpage. And uh, if you're interested in the book Cinema Verite in America, it's there for free. Uh, I'm not trying to sell anything. You got you it can, right here. Oh, I'm glad <laughs> to see you have it. But you, can, uh, you, can, you can download a, P a PDF of it. And there are also links to my uh, iPad uh, apps that Sean mentioned. And all of those are free as well. So I'm not here selling anything, but uh, uh, you can get links to all of those on my, on my faculty page too. Um, well, the, yeah, the great, great resources. Um, definitely will dive in further. Um, but I guess since you mentioned the book, um, Weissman is, is the last filmmaker you bring up. And, and it almost seems as if uh, you're doing that to contrast uh, him uh, against the rest of the early uh, American cinema verite adherents um, as kind of a group. Um, and in the last episode, Sean and I were sort of speaking about uh, this notion of Weissman as like a pure direct cinema, you know, the, the, how, how, um, which was a word you used too in, in your intro on the Weissman section, purified cinema verite, and how, so how do you sort of define, you know, what is pure and what maybe about some of the other, his contemporaries uh, was, you know, less pure? Well, with Weissman, it's a really important question. And, uh, 
the less pure, I think, is if you look at the Drew Associates films, which were mostly done for uh, ABC television, um, they were very worried when they would go in and uh, uh, film somebody that uh, they wouldn't have uh, uh, enough to make a film out of it. And what they were worried about was uh, making sure there was some kind of a dramatic conclusion to, to the films. So they usually pick situations that were win or lose. It would, uh, uh, it would be uh, a race car or an, uh, a, a race or um, uh, an election or something where when they went in, if you didn't know who was gonna win or lose, uh, you would still know that you would, you would have a conclusion to your to your film. Uh, another thing that they did that was very unwiseman-esque is uh, they liked following uh, individuals around because that they felt that gave them more of a story. That is naturally how more fiction films are constructed too, right? You have your main characters and you also have a linear structure right, where you start with them at a certain point and you follow them uh, one scene after another until some uh, a dramatic moment occurs where you can uh, say, well, now we've watched them for a, a useful uh, amount of time. Um, they were also a little bit kind of uh, starstruck, I think, and I, I think it's been funny to see that Wiseman still references his difference from that sometimes in interviews, that he he doesn't follow famous people uh, around, even though it's funny that uh, now occasionally there have been some famous people who have popped up, and the way he's treated them, I think it's been kind of funny, which we can uh, we could talk about. But if you take any of those things that Leacock, Pennebaker, Drew Associates, Maisel's Brothers, uh, did. The Maisel brothers, uh, sometimes they would follow famous people like uh, Brando or semi-famous people. They did a film called Showman about Joseph Levine, who was a, a pretty well-known uh, film producer uh, uh, at, at the time. Uh, even if they, they weren't hugely famous, um, they would still follow the same people all of the time. If, if you see salesmen, you see right at the beginning, uh, uh, they introduce with title cards uh, who the four characters are that they're going, the, the four people that they're following, the, the people become the characters in the film, uh, uh, of course. Uh, well, you take any one of those and you go to Wiseman and he rejects that. But before we talk about what he rejects, I think it is important to say what he absolutely follows and sticks to. And that's where he does it even more than some of the people that he was kind of distancing himself from. And one of those is that there is never in a Wiseman film a title card, right? There's never a time, except for the opening credits or the ending credits, there's never a time when he'll give you the name of a person. And uh, how many hundreds of uh, reviews of Wiseman films have you seen where somebody says, oh, if only they told you who this person was, it would have made such a difference to my watching the film. He just will not. Uh, uh, he, uh, he just will not do that. And uh, uh, it is, again, absolutely essential that uh, he is just going to a place and uh, he's, he's very proud, but I think correct to say he doesn't do research about any of these places before he goes there and that these films are his research and that this is uh, an observational form of cinema and that he does share with these other uh, with these other filmmakers. Um, I think it, it's uh, 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 something that isn't talked about very much, but I thought I, I, I didn't want to forget to mention it. I can pop it in here too, is that um, 
while he was distancing himself from the this kind of New York school, it's funny that he did have connections with the Canadian filmmakers at the time who uh, were kind of doing similar films to this uh, uh, too. And the one in particular who I think doesn't get the attention anymore that, that he deserves is Alan King. And the direct connection to Wiseman is that the uh, a uh, cinematographer of uh, high school is Richard Leiterman, who did one of the two big uh, uh, Alan, Alan King uh, 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 films. I think his, uh, let me make sure I'm saying the, uh, uh, the right one. He did uh, uh, the year after high school, he did, he did a film with Alan King called Married Couple, which got um, much imitated in America with the, uh, the series that was on PBS called American Family which kind of did the same thing that uh, Alan King did with married couple, which was move in with a married couple when they went through uh, uh, a kind of crisis that may have been uh, uh, encouraged by the filmmaker uh, being there. Uh, that's where a shout out also ought to go to uh, the great Albert Brooks film, Real Life. It was made in 1979. So it's pretty early too, where uh, fiction filmmakers are already making fun of this, where, uh, uh, Albert Brooks has a fictional uh, filmmaker move in with a family and all kinds of uh, comedic things uh, uh, ensue. But um, uh, besides Richard Leiterman, William Brain did, um, I think, a really important uh, Alan King film called Warrendale, where um, I think Warrendale uh, sort of belongs with Titicut Follies a little bit because it's about some troubled teenagers and an experimental way of dealing with uh, uh, their, 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 their therapy. And that was made before Titicut Follies. And I think it's kind of clear that uh, uh, Wiseman was paying attention like he was to lots of films to uh, what was going on in uh, uh, Canada. And maybe in a way, uh, Canada is uh, as close to Toronto as it is to New York City. And uh, 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 if you were looking for where was he getting inspiration or seeing people doing things that were kind of interesting and like what, what, what he did. Uh, that's where with high school, I think, uh, uh, while uh, it's amusingly shot, uh, uh, when you look at it now, I really don't like how many times you get those zooms in on, on people's hands that look like they're a little too Freudian for anybody's uh, uh, comfort or the uh, close-ups on uh, uh, somebody's glasses that look make them look a little too grotesque. And I would sort of attribute that to uh, Leiterman a little, a, a little bit more. And I never spoke about that with Wiseman and he'd probably be generous uh, about it, but it's the only film he did with him. And then he did, uh, what is it, six or seven with William Brain. So he was still kind of uh, uh, getting uh, talent from Canada to, uh, to, to work with him. But uh, John Davey is really the uh, ideal uh, uh, Wiseman cinematographer, and I think still doesn't get the credit he deserves for what a brilliant cinematographer he is. I guess uh, it should be mentioned, and this is something that's uh, uh, important uh, with the early, the early films too, is that Wiseman himself is not the cinematographer. So when you get those close-ups in high school, they're not entirely in his control. Uh, he still is the sound person, is... Uh, uh, is directing uh, uh, where the camera ought to be. And he claims that he had hand signals that controlled that a little bit. But um, the footage that he's got to work with when he kind of famously goes off for a year and edits them, um, a little bit it's found material in terms of uh, uh, what the cinematographer did as well as 
uh, what they're what they're actually filming. So um, that's a little bit out of out of his control too. But um, I think that is something. If we go back to the, all of those New York filmmakers, that's something they deserve a lot of credit for as well. That it was uh, uh, Pennebaker. Uh, who uh, figured out because he had an engineering background that he used a, a, a bull of a watch because it had a quartz crystal, that he figured out the way that you didn't have to connect sound to the camera anymore. And then up to that point, um, the, the sound person was completely tethered uh, with a fairly short cord to the, uh, the, to the person who was filming. And that from those New York filmmakers on, you didn't have to, uh, uh, you, you didn't have to do that anymore. So that made, quite a bit of change in how you were able to uh, uh, film. So it was possible, I think, for, for Wiseman to, to be there and not feel like he was uh, just being dragged along by the, by the, by the cinematographer um, uh, uh, anymore. But um, he was still doing things in this kind of uh, uh, New York school of uh, how to do things, try, try not to uh, impose on uh, what, was being, what was being filmed. But it should be emphasized that I guess you, you did talk about it with uh, uh, Titicut Follies too, is that uh, he was saying, at least during these early films, that he was going into public tax supported places and that what he was filming was not uh, private. And that's where I think with high school, the two scenes that really stuck out to me as different this time, given watching all of the other films is that uh, Wiseman became more and more interested in what you could call behind the scenes stuff of showing in his films, things that you wouldn't necessarily see if you were visiting, uh, uh, visiting the place. And the two scenes that really stick out now in high school to me, one is that last scene where I think it should be remembered that the principal is talking to uh, a group of teachers. She's not talking to the parents anymore. And she's not talking to the, to the students. They're kind of uh, bragging amongst themselves about what a good job they're doing. And the only other scene where you see teachers by themselves is the uh, lunchroom. And that's one where they talk about uh, foreign affairs, I think, and how uh, uh, foreign countries just don't appreciate the, the money that we give them. Right. And they basically talk about the rest of the world the same right. way they talk about their students. Well, I think those two scenes are Wiseman starting to realize that it does help to get into the uh, into the weeds a little bit, get into the uh, into the to the to the back rooms, and you don't have in high school the characteristic scenes that you get later. If there's one kind of scene that marks Wiseman as uh, uh, now we know we're in a Wiseman film, it's a meeting where they talk about budgets, and there's probably <laughs> like 25 films right where they do that. And uh, uh, high school, they're probably probably he could have done one like that. Or if he did, he wouldn't have been as interested in it. So I think you see those glimmers of uh, Wiseman figuring out what he what he wants to uh, what he what he wants to do. Um, I hope we could talk about a, a little bit, and uh, uh, I don't want to step on your on your questions, but I think I we know. really have to deal with this institutional business because high school when it came out, and high school still is as looked at now. Uh, people go, okay. Uh, uh, Titicut Follies, high school, basic training, law and order, 
uh, welfare. These are all films where we could see there's an institution uh, at, at work. And he, uh, I think still to this day is kind of stereotyped as a, uh, uh, the institutional filmmaker. And I, I think that that's, that's just wrong. And the better way to look at him now is I think he's done three kinds of films generally, and there's huge overlaps between the kinds of films, but there are the films where you can identify the institution very clearly. And when he started out, that's what he was doing much more of. And even though there are important differences between the institutions, like those between uh, 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 Bridgewater in Titicut Follies and North, Northeast, Northeast High School, um, both later on the institutions uh, will change and will get uh, like kind of an answer film to high school is high school two. Uh, uh, but beyond that, uh, the films are not just institutional anymore. And I think the other two categories are you get the films that you could call either neighborhood or small town or city films. And that would be the ones like Aspen and uh, Belfast, Maine and uh, Monrovia, Indiana. And I think uh, uh, even in Jackson Heights kind of belongs in that. In the, Canal in that zone area. even. Yeah, Canal Zone, I'd say, would be the first of these, where I think he goes down uh, to Panama and thinks he's there doing one kind of film and realizes that there's another interesting kind of film uh, to do. So you can find these films where he's like uh, looking all over the place and he's not just staying in one institution anymore. And then the, the third of the big groups, I think you'd have to call them something like the culture films. And that would be several films about ballet, uh, one film about theater. I think Ex Libris belongs in this group because while it's about libraries, it's also about, about knowledge and literature and, uh, uh, and, and books. And what's interesting about these three categories is they're, they're by no means uh, rigid. And you can take with any of the films, especially the later ones, and you could say, oh, I could see institutional elements in them. I could see cultural elements. And I can see this uh, Wiseman wanting to go all over town and see lots of interesting stuff that's going on. Even with City Hall, I think City Hall is as much kind of a film about Boston as it is a film about uh, city politics. And uh, uh, you see elements that is that as well. But anyway, so back to high school, I think um, we, we uh, look at it uh, when it was first made as, oh, here's Wiseman finding a different way to deal with institutions. But I think you can also see it now as um, uh, Wiseman's growth. And I think he absolutely has grown as a filmmaker tremendously. And he isn't just, uh, he hasn't just applied a rigid formula from uh, uh, one film to the next. Uh, here's another institution. Is it a good one or a bad one? And let's see what we can, uh, what we can do with it. Great. I mean, uh, you've given us a lot to chew on. I'm, I'm trying to figure out where to go. I think for, first off the, um, uh, Alan King films. Um, that's a that's an interesting connection uh, when you bring up marriage. Um, I'm sorry, what, the name's escaping me. What's the name of that one again? A uh, married couple is I a think, married couple. Is, a married the American couple. one was called an American Family. Yeah, uh, what, ten part I, series. I'm, I've been trying to track down American Family. Maybe you can help me do that. But um, yeah, married couple. I I do love that film, but I. Uh, it's interesting you draw that comparison because I, I think of that as one of maybe the most kind of performative documentaries out there, you know, that he's embedded with this couple in their home. And there's really a sense that, 
you know, the, how can you not be aware of the camera? And they're they're sort of putting on this show for King. Um, but uh, the later film, um, uh, Dying at Grace, uh, obviously obvious parallels with Weissman's films, Near Death, um, and encourage anyone to check out that Eclipse box set of uh, Alan King's films. Um, the Marshall and John Marshall versus Richard Leiterman uh, conversation, I think is a really fruitful one. Um, in, in high school, it I think there are similar things happening, That it's a very active camera. The camera's always uh, reframing, zooming in, you know, uh, as you mentioned, there's a lot of shot of hands, a lot of sort of uh, isolated faces. Um, uh, Sean, it, it was reminding me of your piece a few years ago about um, the doc Caniba, about sort of face as landscape um, and, and sort of maybe a method of um, uh, dehumanization a little bit, re removing uh, people from their context and and into their sort of um, you know their body parts and in ways you've you've talked about the the Vietnam letter um, that serve that purpose of um, you know creating bodies to to serve the state. Um, so the so do you see that? Leiterman's uh, cinematography in this film, you know, su supporting that theme, the theme of, you know, uh, structural and institutional power uh, and, you know, the overall theme of um, depersonalization, de-individualization, uh, overall collectivizing. Well, let's talk about it in terms of uh, the performative issue that you raised, because I think it, it does connect to, to this. And I, uh, I think maybe I, I overlooked when we were talking about differences between uh, uh, Wiseman and the, and the New York filmmakers, is that it's really crucial in Wiseman's films that you hardly ever get uh, the same person repeated. He, he's not only not following famous people, he's not following anybody usually. And there are certain films where people do repeat, but it's relatively rare. Um, and um, I think that that's one way to minimize that problem of feeling like whether people are playing for the camera or, or not. Um, I think another part of it though, and it's maybe in Pennebaker's films that it comes out more clearly, that it's not necessarily a bad thing if people are aware that there's a, a camera there. It, it's kind of the cinema verite ideal that uh, they should forget that the camera person is there. And it was uh, Ricky Leacock who said he liked to pretend that his camera wasn't even on and he would leave it on his lap when he was filming Hubert Humphrey, say, uh, in, in a, uh, in a hotel room, so he didn't even know he was being filmed. Wiseman is not, uh, or Wiseman Leiterman in the case of high school, they're not invisible cameramen. You know, they're right there in the face of the people that they're that they're filming. But um, teachers, as I think you notice in high school, are kind of performers themselves a little bit too when they're they're in public. And uh, uh, you know that many times we see the uh, even the vice principals with other uh, parents and with a kind of audience there. Um, they're trying to show their best self, I think, but they're doing it both for the people that they're with, and they're doing it for the camera as well. And I don't think that destroys what they're, what they're, what they're showing. Uh, but that's where I do, I do think, though, that kind of incessant close-up thing, um, I don't think it damages the, the film terribly. And I think it does get you more to the, to the sort of critique of the high school as, um, 
uh, be, being much, much more concerned with uh, uh, institutional power and towards, uh, you know, turning, uh, uh, turning the boys into soldiers and all the, and, and all the rest of that. The camera style is a very commentative one. And that's where I think when you get to the John Davies films, especially, but even Brain was kind of going that way. And I would guess Wiseman must have talked to him uh, about it. Um, I think it's just great in most of the films, I think you would say you almost don't notice the camera work. And of course, when you get camera work like that, that's a really good thing. Um, uh, I, th I think uh, uh, you want to just feel like you're there. And that's what kind of Davy uh, uh, is very good at, do at, at doing with, with, with Wiseman. And uh, that's where I think it's funny with Davy that uh, it almost looks like things are on tripods. And uh, uh, you really have to look carefully to see that he's still uh, um, uh, moving, moving the camera. But uh, with high school, you know that the camera is moving all the time. And it's clear he is in love with his Zoom and that he was doing <laughs> yeah. that with uh, uh, Alan King, too. And the uh, Married Couple is a more performative film. I think you're absolutely right, right, right about that. But I don't think that necessarily makes it be a, a, a problem. The Penn and Baker film, by the way, if you track it down, it's great to see this way uh, because also she's still around, is a film that he did called Jane. It's about Jane Fonda and a play that goes uh, very, very badly, where a good part of the film is Jane alone in her dressing room. But of course, she's not alone in a dressing room. She's there with Pennebaker, but she's kind of does a whole number for the for the camera. And that's where I think you'd say too, well, just because the camera's there, uh, if they're aware of it, that doesn't mean that what we're getting is false uh, as a result. It's just a different kind of material for us to evaluate. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's always kind of the one of the central conflicts of these kind of films is, is, you know, quote, unquote, objectivity and, and, you know, the, the way in which the presence of the filmmakers may or may not uh, influence events. To go back to something you were saying earlier, uh, that caught, um, caught my attention about these being real people, and that being important when you're uh, talking about these films from, you know, like a film studies auteurist perspective, um, uh, there, there does seem to be something that often happens uh, with um, critical examinations of Weissman's work of some kind of like transubstantiation, right, where like by virtue of being made into a film, they somehow lose you know their their real life components and and all you need to consider is you know what's up on the screen and them as film characters and that was something that was um sort of bothering me about um uh thomas benson's piece which is one of the more well-known uh analyses of this film uh specifically about um the the I guess the sexual um, component of the structuring of the film. Um, and, you know, he'll do things like, you know, talking about the Spanish teacher um, and the way she's holding her hands a certain way or the way she's, you know, looping her belt a certain way. Um, the, bat the baton gesture, right? Is that right, right. Well, well, he, I think, I think the way they describe the baton gesture seems more likely, but the way he's implementing it in his argument is that it's, you know, further evidence of 
sexual conditioning and, and sexual um, uh, preening, I guess, or, or some sort of courtship ritual. Um, so, so, you know, how, how do you yeah, let me, let me say a couple of things about the Benson article, which I hadn't looked at for a long time, so I was glad that, that uh, you, you uh, felt it was, was relevant. I think it's actually quite a good piece. It's really excellent. And is Even though he calls you out? Yeah, no, I'm, 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 used, <laughs> I'm used to that. But uh, where he's calling me out too is I think at, the, at this very juncture between what difference does it make that this is, uh, uh, that this is real material and uh, I think this probably says more about film studies than it does about Wiseman. So I don't think we have to go too far into it. But um, this this is kind of the age of semiotics, right? Where uh, 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 I think Arlen, you did kind of describe very well the way uh, people felt all films had to be read. Is that it's just it just matters what's on the screen, the so-called pro-filmic event, I guess, that uh, comes from Chris, uh, Christian Metz, and that it that it didn't matter. Where, where it came from. I think this is tied to also another really important uh, uh, difference with Weisman or uh, something that's really worth discussing and debating, which is how much does it matter that he's a documentary filmmaker? And mm. you see Weisman in interviews, I think almost kind of touchingly, uh, continues, continuing to say, um, uh, I should just be looked at as a filmmaker and not as a documentary filmmaker. And mm. that I'm just trying to make uh, uh, good films. And that uh, almost saying like it doesn't matter. And uh, in a way, he's being polemical when he does that. I don't think that, that that's entirely true. But um, these films do function very well as films. And he's trying to make uh, complexly layered, unusually structured movies where you're not looking at them in terms of the topical material that the films are, are about. That can be uh, an important level of understanding them, but they're not conventional documentary films in, uh, in any sense. And that, that's where I, I, I very much uh, like the Benson article for him trying to make that uh, uh, argument about sexual, sexuality. And even he kind of realizes that that's a personal view of it. And I think you can look at high school and almost say, Wiseman is saying, here, give it a try, you academics. You know, try, try to do this sort of rhetorical analysis. And uh, you'll likely come up with very interesting things. And uh, uh, I, th I think uh, Benson does. There's all kinds of places where I would, dis I would disagree with him. The one that really bothered me is he talks about that, that scene, which I think is also an early characteristic Wiseman scene later on, which I would call the misfit scenes, where he likes to find somebody who doesn't fit well in, in the institution and see what happens to them. So the, the scene like that in high school is the one where you get kind of the, the smart kids who are sort of proud of themselves that they're a little better than everybody else. And you get the one couple, the guy who's got the, uh, the dark glasses on, and his girlfriend is next to him, and she kind of gives him a little bit of a, an aff affectionate hug. And uh, Benson reads that entirely in terms of uh, 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 that she's not capable of showing authentic affection, I think she says, and she doubts kind of the sincerity of either of them. Right. And, and, you know, that that's a possible reading, and I think it's good he does that, but there's not a true reading of that. There's your reaction to how you think those people yeah. are behaving and my reaction. I don't think there's something essential to the film that demands on the basis of a particular camera angle or a particular close-up that says, 
says you have to see it that way. And why that is, is those are real people. So maybe sometimes it's filtered or maybe a lot of times it's filtered or maybe sometimes you can feel like um, if you were to guess what Wiseman is doing, uh, which I would discourage someone from trying to think that way. But even if you were doing it, you could still say there's enough space there to say, well, I can take this another way. Or I think it's important in, in Wiseman films that there's a lot of times where you would say, I just don't know how to take this. And one time when I see it, well, maybe I realize this scene connects up with something I saw 20 scenes before. And that was something incidentally, I think, uh, Benson did really great. There's a point where he could he connects a lecture in sequence 19 to something that happens in sequence 37. Uh, and it's uh, two discussions of sex. But I think what's also important is he realizes that something that happened in scene 19 matters when you get to scene 37, that you have to think about them in relation to each other. And that's real Wiseman viewing, I think. That's what you have to do when you watch his films. And even more so as the films uh, go along, you have to think about what have I already heard? What have I seen? What kinds of situations have I been in? that are relevant to the point where I am now, because he doesn't line these up in a convenient thematic row. I think uh, it's good that in Benson, that even though you'd say like sexuality is a theme, he's still not calling it a theme. He's saying it's a, it's a rhetorical structure and he's very sensitive to structure. And I think it's really good that he, uh, that, that, that he does that. And I think high school invites like, uh, 20 Benson-like articles. And That's for sure. uh, there, there are very few as good as his. And again, I really compliment what he does. And I think the disagreements he has with various people are important disagreements that he, he has. But uh, uh, again, I wanted to say in terms of my journal, I didn't want to get into all of those uh, uh, disagreements I might have with, with scholars. We could go on for an hour or so with, about Bill Nichols, for, for, for example. And, uh, I don't think we want to get into that, but we can talk mosaic structure. Yeah, we want, to get in, we want to get into it a little bit. Yeah, um, so, but... so we can do that. But, but again, I think the, the important thing is watching the films and understanding that uh, the films are constructed in a way to be open enough to invite these different, different interpretations. And I think it's a good quality of Benson's piece that even he with his very rigorous kind of rhetorical analysis and those great uh, uh, frame enlargements, that's something that's changed a lot since when he was writing that it was right. hard, hard to do anything but these little sketches. Oh yeah, I uh, love the sketches. Uh, but <laughs> it, it, it shows the right kind of Wiseman obsession, I think that that, that he did that. But even though he goes to all of that effort, I think even he is saying, this was what I thought was important in uh, uh, in Wiseman. And uh, I think I do some similar things in my journal. I kind of go crazy when I get to uh, 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 the film called uh, Crazy Horse uh, about Wiseman's obsessions with lighting and how that comes up. And I think I, I wind up giving like 20 examples of lighting <laughs> that, I, that I figured out by the, by, by the next day. But but there too, I think I try to say, well, this is just what I saw as being important. And that, you know, when you wind up doing one of these kind of things, you 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 wind up saying, well, Wiseman must have cared about that as much as I did, and he must have built this into the film. And I just don't think that's the important argument. What the, right. what the important argument is, this is what I, while seeing the film, 
uh, will what I'm talking to you say is the important things that we should be looking at. And again, a film like High School is already pretty open to a lot of those things. And even though you can do a Benson-like analysis and do, I think, a pretty great one like he does, even he would say this is not the only way we could look at look at high school. Cer certainly. Um, but when you, it's, this is an interesting problem for Weissman specifically, who talks about, you know, making meaning more so in the editing room. And, and if you were to assume or suggest, you know, some of the intentionality of, you know, f certain framing or shots, that would imply then that, you know, Weissman went in and discussed with the cinematographer, um, you know, some sort of a priori theme or goal or message that, you know, he wanted to attempt to convey through the visuals. Um, I think, you know, you've already mentioned that intentionality is sort of, you know, beside the point in these analyses, and that's certainly the case, but just broadly with a filmmaker who works in such a manner, you know, how, how do you, if at all, wrestle with Weissman's intentions in his films? Well, if you would say that, I think you'd say he's a bad filmmaker because the intentions seem to change so much from film to film. And I think his answer to that would be, or our answer as spectators, is that uh, uh, that's what he recorded when he went to a place. And Monrovia, Indiana is not Aspen and it's not Philadelphia in, in high school. And he's bringing back what he saw. He clearly studies it very closely and structures it uh, very carefully. But um, I, I think we probably haven't emphasized enough the nonlinearity of his structures. And then, right. like Benson goes from sequence 19 to sequence uh, 37, that's what you have to do as a spectator, too. And the connections from sequence to sequence in Wiseman's films, uh, I think, are more transitional than they are thematic. There are ways that you feel like you're not watching, uh, uh, th that you're not watching uh, in continuity, or that you're not just seeing the same theme uh, repeated. But it's also like each time in a new Wiseman sequence, you have to figure out, well, what are we doing here, or what's going on? And that's one way I think that the uh, the zoom shots or the close-ups are not so bad in high school because it is part of, I think, what becomes a kind of Wiseman thing all the way through. Uh, he's not going to tell you why you're looking at what you're looking at. And I really like, for example, in the uh, astronaut scene that I think you go for like a, a minute or two where when you're watching, you just go, what the heck is uh, going totally on? Totally baffling, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you just, you just don't know. So even in like some of those funny shots of like... Uh, the, the girl's hitting a, a baseball that's sitting on a on a pedestal and you don't know exactly what's going on there. Um, I think if you were just to ask yourself while you're watching high school the first time, and of course it, it changes when you see it more, more than once, if you just say, when am I disoriented in this film or not? Um, Wiseman sort of saying, uh, you've got to figure out what's going on here or uh, there are a number of things going on here or a number of ways we could take this. I'm not going to force one uh, way of looking at it. And one way he's not forcing it is by putting it into a neat thematic 
pattern where you would say this is what what he found. Even Benson kind of in an interesting way waffles on this where he goes, when he gets to the last scene, he goes, well, if you put this scene at the beginning, it would be a whole different movie. But now that it's the end, we could see that's where that's what he was really, uh, that's where uh, what he was really getting at. And uh, I think Wiseman becomes uh, ambiguous about closing scenes as he goes as he goes along. He has a whole variety of them. Sometimes they're sermons. Sometimes they're military ceremonies. Uh, they become uh, um, uncomfortably uh, cemeteries in uh, some of the some of the later films. Um, I don't think you can say that he's neatly giving dramatic closure to the films. I think he kind of does in high school, and I loved that when I first saw it, and I still love uh, that he got he got footage where somebody actually said what that principal says, and uh, right. you know, once you get that, you can't not use it the way <laughs> yeah. the way that he that he used it. But he doesn't do that forty times. He did that because that's what he, that's what he found. Uh, uh, at, at that particular school, I think. I, I kind of wanted to, um, speaking of the end, and we can talk even more about it later, but um, he talks about how he thinks of it as a bookend with the way it opens, which is very distinct for, for Wiseman, but um, you you see these, uh, he, he refers to it as like a GM factory is what it looks like. And you see these row houses, um, which is, uh just a really interesting thought um but also we have in the beginning uh otis redding sitting on the dock of the yes. bay which is just such a stark thing to happen now like once you're familiar with wiseman's work to like turn on this movie and be like what there's a pop song here um and also to have him like i guess in, in interviews kind of like spell out exactly why i mean one of the reasons was that he was hearing that a lot in his drive-in and it was so it was sort of just like tied personally to his experience but also um he thought it was an interesting idea about uh specifically the black experience in america and trying to find a place um and for some reason he sees this tied thematically with something he sees in high school but um it reminds me of what you were writing about in cinema verite which was that, and I can't remember if you talk about it specifically, but as something I think you do as like antithetical to, um, I guess, cinema verite in general, but specifically Wiseman's style as we get to see, because it is pushing, it is pushing an agenda, right? It is, it is trying to say something and that's usually just not his, his MO. Well, that's the only place in any of his films where he uh, adds, adds a, a song, I guess that's, in film studies parlance called non-diegetic non sound. Um, the song wasn't playing, even if he claims he heard it on the radio or a lot, uh, a lot, he took that piece of music and added it at the beginning. And to be honest, I was always so bothered by that that I didn't notice what, what else was going on in those first few shots. And I think it's Benson actually, who's really smart about the pun of Pen Made, which is the name of a, a dairy where it's M-A-I-D, but uh, right. he reads it as Wiseman saying, uh, Pen, M-A-E, M-A-D-E, that we're about to enter this factory where we're, who is Pen made are the students there as well as the, uh, as well as the dairy products. But um, what, if I had one single big surprise of seeing all of these Wiseman films together 
over the over the last few months. It's how many songs are in Wiseman films. And I think that even goes back to Titicut Follies, where I right. think I counted five songs that um, in kind of Wiseman fashion, when you get a song, you get a pretty big chunk of it or almost a, a complete one. And uh, 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 after a while, when I was doing the journal, I just sort of stopped listing all of the songs because there were so many of them. But what happens with all of the other ones is uh, you'll see that it's playing on a radio or it's in a public address system, or he did just happen to find it. And sometimes you can kind of read ironic commentary into the content of the of the lyrics of the songs. Other times it just happens to be playing. He's uh, just uh, uh, adding that in as another thing. But um, the uh, Otis Redding Dock at the Bay um, is the only time where he says, oh, here I'm going to use this as a kind of commentative way. And I think Benson is right that you can connect the ending and connect, connect it uh, to, to the beginning. And I think that's wrong. I don't think you need Otis Redding in order to uh, to, to do that. Um, yeah. I think the, the, the final speech would, would do that perfectly well. And also, I think you could have put the final speech somewhere else, and it still would have had the effect that it uh, that it that it did, uh, uh, and uh, maybe it's not quite to that, but I think it is to be re-emphasized that um, these sequences in Wiseman films are not chronological, and that that principal wasn't speaking on the last day that Wiseman was was there, and maybe even the filming of what he put at the beginning was not there. But what that he absolutely sticks to, and it's really important to uh, acknowledge that he does that is he doesn't take things from different sequences and try to put them into one thing. Like if you see a board student in a class, that is the class where she was the, the board, st board student. He isn't taking her out of another class and wanting to show a board st student and then putting her there. Um, he maintains the kind of integrity of the time of each of the individual uh, sequ sequences. And I think that becomes like a really uh, important part of the high art of Wiseman as he goes on is those sequences can wind up being a half an hour or they could wind up being 30 seconds. And you just don't know when they start. And he's really good at both kinds. He can tell like a whole little story in 30 seconds or the amazing sequences, like one of them is in juvenile court where um, the problem of a of a, a, a juvenile offender just gets uh, more and more complex as it as it goes on. It takes up like a huge chunk of the the film, and within that, you're just following that one sequence. He's not cutting things together. You don't get cutting back and forth. You did uh, very correctly, and it was good you did discuss the problem with that sequence in Titicut Follies, where the guy's getting the uh, force fed through the feed tube while you see him being prepared for burial. And I think you were reading that pretty correctly. And I would put that in the same category as uh, Otis Redding at the start of high school. They're like overly didactic elements that are not really true to the kind of cinema verite philosophy, which uh, again, I would say uh, Wiseman is kind of like almost the purest of the cinema verite filmmakers. And even when I wrote my book, I was already uh, uh, realizing, well, he's doing what the other people are sort of uh, preaching, but for one reason or another, weren't doing either out of commercial concerns or other uh, other kinds of worries about uh, what kind of films they were making and who would be interested in them. Uh, Wiseman kind of, he was smart right from the beginning and knew what what he wanted to use out of this kind of uh, 
uh, aesthetic that he was seeing in New York filmmakers and ca Canadian film filmmakers, but was doing very much in his own way. And as he's developed, he's developed uh, from uh, his own work as much as he has from looking at other people. Um, so I guess like getting into one of the things around high school being like, well, first of all, I, th I think uh, it is the first one of his films that is like universally relatable, which I think probably changes our, our reactions to it as, as audience members. But um, I think we should talk about uh, the time period that it, that it deals with specifically. And um, like you, you wrote that uh, it's, it's reflection, high school's reflection of, a, of its time period. Um, and which makes it, I mean, the time period 1968 makes it a more overtly political film with Wise, for Wiseman. So not only is it, you know, more, um, as you were saying earlier, easier to kind of like read or, or like project onto than, than uh, late Wiseman works, but it's also overtly dealing with political things like race and sexuality. Um, and it's just, you know, has all these references to an outside world um, you know, that deal with like human behavior and whatnot. Um, but uh, this makes it, you know, a social study rather than this, it's called high school, but it's not a, it's not about pedagogy, you know, it's not about teaching. It's about a social study of this, this place, which I, I think is an important distinction. Although uh, I, I would disagree a little in that I don't think we have to choose between them. And if you take education or teaching, for example, that's one of the large Wiseman subjects all the way through. A whole bunch of his films seem to be about teaching. And I don't think we have to say in high school that it's not about it. I think we could you know, either say, well, it's about very bad teaching or it's about a certain style of teaching or that they're, they're happy with it. Well, but I think I'm, it's interesting. You get, you get about an hour into it before you get sort of classroom instruction like you might conceive of in a film of high school you know you you said all, this is a something that happens in many of the films i was thinking of um the moby dick scene in in uh, belfast maine you know and and then you know a whole hour into this 75 minute film and it's you know discipline and sexuality <laughs> and all these other things and then you know finally they start talk having this classroom discussion about labor and unions yeah, I, I think you could maybe think of uh, some of the teaching in later Wiseman films as uh, he still has this high school in mind and he's presenting alternatives. Uh, the, the Moby Dick guy in uh, uh, Belfast, Maine is terrific, I think. And that's more, for me anyway, my reaction would be that that's more like what a teacher should be doing than any of the teachers in, uh, uh, any of the teachers in, in high school. But um, throughout Wiseman's films, they're either like, uh, books being talked about, or, you know, there's even a book club in Aspen, and there's one in uh, in Jackson Heights. They come up uh, uh, all over the place. And then uh, uh, the four, um, I keep calling them the Talladega films, but the blind, deaf, uh, multi-handicapped, uh, that that group of films is all about teaching. Most of, True, most yeah. of the, the scenes are, are classroom scenes, and also often very good teaching, too. And um, so, um, I think Wiseman is like interested in that, but he's also interested in it as a larger subject that uh, education and teaching is the way that you do take the younger generation and give them the, the values that the society as a whole has. And uh, um, 
I think uh, the, the topicality question is a good one to ask with with Wiseman, and I think you could say that that high school is more topical than some of his. But uh, I, I think Sean, in one of your emails, you mentioned something about well, why in high school don't you ever get a mention of uh, Martin Luther King having been shot? Or there are all kinds of things going on in 1968 that you would say why why isn't this film talking about it? And I think that's where you could say that Wiseman is topical in a certain sense in that he's concerned with issues like race and sexuality, but race and sexuality, as we know, are issues that don't go away. I don't think we, we would want to call race, obviously, uh, only a 1968 question. There might be things that are happening at that point that could have been included, but I don't think you could say that it's entirely ignored uh, uh, in the film. Maybe it gets discussed a good deal more in public housing or in uh, in Jackson Heights so they're they're not they're not going going away but the real topical question i think in high school is related to the military and i guess you could either say that was more an issue in 1968 that people were protesting over and i think you'd probably say well why aren't they doing it in uh, uh, northeast high school that it's probably uh, universities that were more centers for protests than high schools and that probably Northeast High School was pretty typical that way. And it's so different from High School 2. When we get to that, uh, that was filmed right after the Rodney King trial. And the kids in that film are going off to uh, 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 downtown to protest uh, uh, the, uh, the, the verdict of the trial and public events are, are very much a part of that. Uh, but Wiseman would probably attribute it. Uh, I would never want to say that I'm speaking uh, for him is that uh, uh, Rodney King is part of high school too because the kids were uh, going out and uh, 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 were concerned about it. And Martin Luther King is not in the first high school because the kids just, uh, uh, Martin Luther King was not on their radar. Uh, or nothing right. happened there that, well, that that did. So topicality is a kind of funny question. And Wiseman is always concerned with social issues, but I think he's kind of concerned with them in uh, not what's happening at that specific moment in time. And I did a list in my journal, and I won't repeat the 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 whole thing, but it's in the uh, the. Um, uh, the thing I did about welfare. And I just started listing like all the subjects that came up and it was like hunger and food and housing and rent and poverty and race and unemployment and divorce and marital responsibility and child and pet problems. And there's like 10 more, I'm not gonna repeat them now. You can go back and look at it. So like welfare is certainly a topical film, but it's not dated in any way. Unfortunately, the social problems we have and that Weisman has been interested in have not gone away. So even Vietnam doesn't date high school because you just take Vietnam away and plug in Afghanistan or you know plug in uh, uh, yeah. Iraq or pick your pick your war and it's still the same thing. And uh, I think it is correct <laughs> that high school is kind of non-specific about the war. You know, you get several mentions of students who have gone off to fight in the war. But when you look at it now, that, mm -hmm. that hasn't changed any, or that, that could be uh, that could be any war. Yeah. So uh, high school is not a dated film, I, think, I don't I think, think it, even though it has some topicality. I think it's, it's, it's um, 
it's interesting the way that the topics of or the the happenings of 1968 whether they do or don't appear i think are are you know it's all a statement um and wiseman has, has said in an interview like talking about how he came away from this school just in awe of how bored and like passive these students were which like very much also has to do with what's going on in 1968 and how it's being taught to them and i i think that the mlk thing was broached and it's broached at like the end of a class or something and they're like okay we're gonna go over here and do this and it, it's just so rote um and it's you know it, it, it's one of these things where um, actually I, I watched this with uh, my girlfriend who did uh, some teaching in Brooklyn during the um, George Floyd uh, murder and like was talking like juxtaposing this the way that something like this was talked about as opposed to now in um, in an inner city school where you're like you know you're having conversations with students about things like, you know, you're trying to see how they're influencing their lives and you're having conversations about how they're just connecting to these things. And here we see this, um, I'm not saying that's how every school is now, but it's interesting to see it compared to something like this, where it's like, okay, you're going to sort of like cross this line and, you know, you're, you're going to walk over here. You're going to hear about this. You're going to leave that classroom. You're going to go on to the next thing. There isn't this sort of like relationship building that we see in high school is just not there. Yeah, I think we would hope that education has changed since <laughs> then. And Wiseman's films generally are kind of time capsules of, you know, whenever he's filmed. But I think that's part of the, the way he's a great filmmaker. Um, just, just as every film in a way is kind of a time capsule of when it's made, there are still films that are aware of like larger questions. And I think that's also kind of what's wrong with lots of documentaries is that they're, they're almost too specific about their subjects so that they, they do date after a while and you go, well, what's happened since then? Um, you can be curious in Wiseman films about what's happened since then, but I don't think you're so attached to the people or the way that the issues are uh, being explored that you go, oh, what did they do the next day? Or did this person go to a good college rather than a bad college? That's sort of not the way the film is. Uh, is arguing. So there's a place certainly for historical documentaries, and there's a place for documentaries that deal with very specific events and uh, are topical in the extreme, and those are, are valuable. But that's part of the way that Wiseman is just not a conventional documentary filmmaker. It is also uh, something we probably haven't talked about enough that um, uh, he seems to be very mindful of uh, conversation that seems specific to the place, but is general in some kind of a way that um, uh, uh, could, uh, you can realize when that's said, you can think about in some larger kind of a, of a context. And he's just aware of big issues all the time. And so I think one of the things that comes out in the films is uh, somebody says something that uh, uh, may be in the context of a meeting or a, or a classroom, but it's a, a larger kind of idea where you do say, like in the case of high school, this isn't just a teacher doing something stupid with a with a, a student. There, it's saying something about the society that's produced this uh, uh, this institution. Yeah, and and you know earlier you were talking about getting sort of divesting from this notion of Weissman as the institution guy. Um, and I think that, but going towards what you were saying about, you know, um, 
the tourist concept of one big film, you know, the Truffaut's idea. Um, is it kind of accurate to say that the one big film is about the institution of like America writ large? Yeah, I think there's a few ways you could say that. And that's one. Um, he has he has filmed outside of America a few times. So sure, sure. It's not it's not it's not uh, uh, simply simply that. But um, I th I think what he does kind of uh, always show a preoccupation with is um, uh, communities or community interaction, and he does wind up uh, you know being in America most of the time. But uh, I think it's more just uh, how does society function would be the would be the way to. To say to say that, and that's where I think his films right now are not dating, but in a hundred years they will be a good record of what life was yeah. like in America now, because the the, the telescope will be uh, uh, will be broader at, at that point. So, um, and but I think that's what that's what great films can do. They can feel like they are of their time, but they're not limited by their time. They they can be larger. That's where it's funny. I think it's in. Uh, uh, at Berkeley that it's mentioned about um, uh, them setting up a time capsule somewhere and what belongs in it. I think they're they're quoting from our town that we're getting a, 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 a rehearsal from the uh, Thornton Wilder uh, play. But when the cornerstone is mentioned, that's another of those times like happens so often in Wiseman films where it's sort of like Wiseman's thinking of the, of the cornerstone too. You know, the place where the films are, are buried or the uh, records are buried of this civilization for the civilization in a hundred years when they open it up again of what, what it's going to be like. So yeah, I think he's going at it at a really big kind of level, but um, it's not just at a, like a journalistic level where he's saying, oh, this is what Chicago is like at this time. And this is an event that happened that I was lucky enough to, to be at. It's like, um, how, do people, how did people deal with their problems at, at this time? What did they do with the people who didn't have enough money to, to, to get their next meal? Um, how did they stick people in public housing? And uh, what were the circumstances of, of that? What did they do with their kids to, to, uh, to, to teach them the values that the society had? Um, how did they get their food was, a, uh, was another one that comes up uh, surprisingly often in Wiseman films. He's interested in animals a lot more than I expected. We get a lot, a lot, a lot more, uh, uh, a lot more see, uh, see, uh, see, scenes of that. Um, he has a very broad spectrum, I think, of the things he's interested in. But I think there are still things you wind up calling Wiseman-esque when you look at the 43 or 45 films all, all together. They're recurring concerns. They're not just accidentally popping up uh, 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 one time. So I would say community or human action or a record of how did America at, at this time period deal with these social problems that were larger ones. So that's where I think even in a hundred years, they're not gonna be dated in a certain way because these are problems that are not gonna disappear. They were problems a hundred years ago and they'll be a problems a hundred years from now. You know, we have versions, but still where, you know, history has a value. That's where Ex Libris is the great film about that, which is largely about history, I would say. It is sort of asking about what happened in the 1900s that we should still be, uh, we should still be caring about. You, going off of that, that quote uh, that you just said about like, this is how society functions. There's a, there's a great, great uh, quote of Wiseman's 
in an interview uh, at, at uh, the time of high school or, or shortly after where he said, um, a high school is a self-contained society and you have to hunt out the places where power is exercised. That's where you're going to find the real values of the institution expressed. And when you sort of like take, take high school, uh, you know, put it in the pieces of the, the whole Wiseman picture, um, that's another part of it is just like, um, not just how societies function, but um, within that, how is power being expressed? How, like who is being affected by power um, and yada, yada. Uh, yeah. that, and I think in high school, it's very interesting how power is being expressed because um, it, it is uh, in the way that, well, and, and just kind of like an offbeat thing is uh, he said in order to help him find this specifically, he had informants, like he had, he had students that he trusted that would like, you got to come here and see this. And that was kind of how he navigated the thing. But um, here you, you see power. I mean, as far as I'm concerned, power being expressed from top down to where you're not supposed to exactly understand. And Benson talks about this in his piece about the double bind theory. You have uh, just, just, blank power being pushed onto students. There is no rhyme or reason sometimes. And the more that the kids try and understand how the power is being expressed, the more that they're just told to be docile. And that is how that they're gonna, that's how they're gonna make it. My sense of that though is that he probably didn't have to search too far to, to get that, that just about any classroom yeah. he would walk into would be, like, would be like that. That's where again, I do like the only two times where you see teachers alone without the students. And I sort of wish there was more of that. And I think his later films do give you more of that kind of a, a backstage stuff. Um, I think also, and I'm just guessing on this, it's not based on any conversation or interview, uh, that he has relied on informers, if we want to call them that, a lot when he goes to places. But I would take that to be a good thing. It's like um, he's trying to see what do they think are the, the things that a visitor ought to see when they when they come to this place. Um, uh, I really buy the idea, and I think it is kind of a, a, a cinema verite credo of not having uh, uh, preconceived notions as much as possible. And of course, that's a balancing act. And it's obvious that uh, uh, Wiseman or any filmmaker has things that they'll be looking for when they go to a, when they go to a place or they'll select things based on their own uh, uh, interests. But I really do buy the idea that uh, uh, Wiseman repeats in just interview after interview that uh, he's dependent upon what he sees when he goes to a place, that it still matters that uh, this is discovered material, observed material, and not created material from, from him. No scripts, no chronology, um, no uh, uh, heroes uh, for the most part. Um, and uh, um, I think as we go on past high school, more and more of this what's going on behind the scenes kind of stuff like these couple of scenes uh, suggest he's interested in. And one of those, um, as we've mentioned, is that GI letter. And uh, I wanted to mention just as a side note, how funny it is that he said uh, he had just gotten on stage before she reads that letter to thank the, the teachers and, and the staff to have or for having him there and like him and his crew were just like packing up they were like about ready to leave and uh then she like you know he saw that she was going to get up and read something and they like just started shooting again so this like I iconic ending that is like now you know obviously inexplicable and and so key to this movie 
is just something that, you know, he, he just happened upon after he thought he had already wrapped. Well, I think that's a great feeling at Wiseman Films that uh, it's still discovered material that he could have completely uh, missed if he had gone on a different day or turned his camera off a, uh, off a little bit sooner. I think you could do a great montage from Wiseman Films, uh, the sort of discovered gold, you know, those moments where you just go, oh, yeah, how in the world was he lucky enough to, to, to get that? The end of high school would be one of those. Uh, the guy at the end of Welfare who talks about waiting for Godot and will Godot ever arrive is uh, uh, <laughs> uh, 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 is is another of those. You know, it's not just like your favorite moments in Weissman films. It's the I can't believe that he was around to capture that and that he was lucky enough to get it. And also, the people were willing enough to say it while his camera was was running. I think that's part of the real attraction of cinema verite films and high school's got a good quantity of that but especially that last scene is priceless is isn't it to get somebody to come right out and, and do it do it that way i think about that too and it's another thing that wiseman i think is really good at is he's very sensitive to performances and given that these are all non-actors um th that uh principle is just uh, uh, a great orator in her way, you know, that she uses that letter as her big example. And she says, well, I might start crying and uh, you, Mr. So-and-so might have to, might, I might have to read it. She's given a real performance. And I think there's a ton of times in Wiseman films where you go, you know, like, you know, how moving was it that we heard that? Or, you know, how sincere was that? Or this, this guy's a real con man. Does he really think anybody is going to believe what he's saying? You're reading the movies on the level of performance. And I think that connects back to real life where we probably do that too, where we always wonder, is somebody telling us the truth? Or, and uh, should we pay more attention to their, to their hand gestures or to the words they're saying or to uh, something they've told me before? You know, it's the whole question of how do we... Uh, deal with life in a way. Uh, Wiseman forces you to, to, to think about a lot while, while you're watching his films. But um, those, those moments like the end of, of high school are just, that, that's where I think, you know, when high school first ended at the San Francisco Film Festival, with that, I knew like this was just, I had never seen anything before like that in my life, I think. I think he said that that's like part of the reason why he doesn't want to spend much time before he starts shooting is because he couldn't live with himself if he had to see something like that and he like, <laughs> wasn't there to capture it. Well, that's where you could also pro probably say that if he didn't have that, and maybe if he stuck around more or went to more of those teacher meetings, there'd be things that were like that, that or maybe even better than that, although it's hard to imagine that that could be. But um, it's still like that's not an unusual thing that's happening. It's a typical thing that's happening. I think yeah. I, I would even know with that letter that out that uh, she probably trots it out every year for some years. And if you went back, <laughs> she'd still be doing that same shtick uh, uh, a, a little bit later. And that's where most of the stuff you see in high school is what happens uh, every day. Or you would hope eventually they they would change their their ways but there's probably always the teacher who's going to use dangling conversation or you know whatever passes for the simon and garfunkel song of that time and uh, 
there's always the typing teacher who's going to not realize the, that what he's uh, using as a typing exercise could be read different ways. And the, the French teacher, you know, just pick your person. And there's probably somebody still like that, that going back into that school, you would still find. So he's lucky in a certain way, but it's also, this is what he found when he, when he went there. But what he does that's great, of course, is he's smart enough to know how to, how to select and how to, how to use them. And uh, um, I still find it amazing that he can spend a year editing these films. It's so unusual for uh, filmmakers to, to do that. And uh, I believe him when he says in uh, uh, interviews that he knows every piece of footage that he shot, not just the couple of hours that may be the film, but the hundred hours that don't make it into the film. And also that he knows all of the footage from all of the other movies that he, that he shot too, and that he's, uh, uh, that he's aware of them as well. That's where if I could interject that mosaic question real quickly, if you yeah, don't mind, please. Uh, are, are, are talking about that of how would we describe the, the 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 structure of these films and is mosaic a good way to do it? And I think that's what I probably changed on too. That mosaic seemed very inviting back in the day of high school because mosaic was suggesting it was constructed out of these uh, discrete pieces, discrete uh, the R E T E. Uh, version of it, you know, manageable little sequences that were put together so that together they made a big, uh, a big picture. Uh, and that's, that's really a major Wiseman contribution. You don't find films put together that, that way. So uh, Mosaic kind of describes it, but it also doesn't entirely. Um, all I can think of is like possible alternatives, but none of them are very good too. Uh, tapestry is not a, a, a terrible one. Um, uh, uh, terms that have come up in recent reviews of his films have been either sprawling or panoramic. And those are, <laughs> those are trying to get to it too. It's like uh, let's let's just uh, move widely over the scene, and uh, we're probably not going to go back to these again. Uh, but finally, we're going to have a bigger picture than we would otherwise have. So I think mosaic is not a terrible term because it can suggest that we better think about how these pieces uh, uh, fit together. But um, just like how um, institutional filmmaker kind of outlives its uh, usefulness, I think uh, mosaic is a description of his structure. That's still kind of the cliche reading of him as he's the institutional filmmaker who puts these pieces together in like kind of a mosaic form. Uh, what's, uh, what's been part of his uh, 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 development as a filmmaker is that the mosaics have become more complex. The pieces are both bigger and smaller, and the ways that they fit together are are uh, are much deeper than uh, uh, simple thematics or uh, one one or two issues that might might come up. They're just a, a lot richer uh, and deeper and more inviting of uh, multiple possible readings. Yeah, yeah, I think that the uh, the Dan Armstrong film quarterly piece that we talked about on the last episode. I think he also was. He, he kind of denounced that or, or just kind of like was building off of that is probably a more generous way to say it is like this might have been a useful term like you said but really it kind of doesn't illustrate how linear uh like this this projection or this propulsion of, of his films become like you know they very much are about this scene happens because or this this scene happens and then this next scene happens and there's a very clear build that he's doing in these juxtapositions between scenes 
Um, and he's also doing them in very cinematic ways and cinematic mm -hmm. in the sense of all cinema, not just documentary film. So you'll get visual transitions. Sometimes you'll get a line of dialogue that might be repeated. There are all kinds of imaginative ways that you get from scene to scene. And that's what that's what good cinema should do, I think. And that's where he's really quite advanced in that regard. I think I, I wish there were more imitators of Wiseman. I'm hard pressed to think of what are the films. I think he's influential, but he's not influential in a very direct kind of way. It's just people uh, absorb this kind of way of looking at things and, uh, and and know not to be as didactic as some other films might uh, might be. But it's a very difficult style to 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 put to pull off. And uh, uh, he's he's really gone his own uh, uh, his own way on that. Uh, that's what I, I did want to say too. I don't. I, I uh, have failed to mention one of the big surprises of uh, going through all of the films in order that I hope will be your experience too. Is um, there's a whole bunch of what you could call middle Wiseman films that I think just get largely ignored or uh, they don't get paid attention to, sure. or people falsely go to Wiseman films thinking that you only go to them if the subject matter based on the title is something that you're interested in. And that's part of why high school has been such a popular film. I think it's because everybody's been to, in high school right. and also it is a little bit more accessible in, in other ways, but um, you really shouldn't pick your Wiseman films by uh, by the titles of the, uh, the movies. And my experience so often was uh, both, uh, I didn't expect this film to be like what it was at all, but also, especially in those uh, middle ones, that, uh, that these were really good. And uh, I avoided doing a, a top 10 list uh, when I was at the end, because uh, I don't think that's the right way to look at Wiseman's films. But I did think that there were some really undervalued middle films. And I would say there were four, uh, uh, is it four of them in particular? It was uh, Domestic Violence 2, more than Domestic Violence 1, Zoo, High School 2, and Public Housing, all of which are really great films that nobody uh, talks very much uh, uh, about. And I think very nicely, there's been this kind of uh, late Wiseman rediscovery that's like almost impossible to ignore from sort of at Berkeley uh, onward. And these films like High School are just wonderful, and you have to you have to like look at uh, at uh, Titicut Follies and this and the the ones you have coming up uh, in in your next few, and not marvel at uh, you know how interesting and. Uh, 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 how much you can take take from them, but uh, those middle films really warrant uh, uh, close close attention to. Uh, I don't think I'm just saying this as a Wiseman partisan, but more as just a person who loves movies. That these are great films, and there aren't bad Wisemans and good good Wisemans. There are just different Wisemans, and every one is very different from the from the other even though there's a very clear identifiable style and a set of preoccupations. So I think you can tell almost right away in a Wiseman film when it is that it is a, a Wiseman film. He's so far from being uh, uh, programmatic about it or formulaic uh, uh, about it. The films uh, do depend so much on where he is 
and what he's discovering at the at, at the place that there are huge valuable differences between each of the films and every single one of them is worth looking at. There's really not one I would steer anybody away from. And there's lots of films I hate and that I warn people against. There's no there's no wise when I would do it. It's part of his measure as a as a great filmmaker that there are no peaks and, va and valleys. And also, I don't think he gets enough credit for being the independent filmmaker that he has. That uh, yeah. uh, he found a way with PBS to do it. He seems to have worked um, foundations very well. I think something that's absolutely incredible that he did is that when he got his uh, MacArthur Foundation fifty thousand dollars or whatever it was, he plowed right back into his movies. And I think it's the last two of uh, those four of the Talladega films that uh, uh, he uh, uh, he mentions that that's where that's where the money uh, that's where the money went. Uh, he's just found ways to do it, and that's where while it's been terrible that uh, his films have been so inaccessible for these for these 50 years. And it's, it's great that Canopy, uh, he's now struck a, uh, now struck a deal with, I guess he's mostly managed to survive by the uh, rentals he's been able to charge to uh, film festivals and to universities and to what he could make by charging $400 or whatever to, to, to DVDs. Just that he was able to do that so that he could always make the films that uh, he, want, he wanted to make is uh, quite an incredible accomplishment, however one felt about the, the 45 movies. But the 45 movies are amazing. And anybody studying film who doesn't know these movies, I mean, I would say it's like Hitchcock or Ford or you name who your top 10 uh, uh, filmmakers are. If Wiseman is not among those top 10, I just don't respect you as a, <laughs> or, uh, as a person loving cinema because you, you have to appreciate what he brings to uh, uh, brings to movies by by nature of the body of work that he's uh, that he's pr produced and the, the the complexity and the depth of the material that uh, that, that he has and uh, I think again back to the the ambiguity and the multiple uh, possibilities of readings are a really essential nature of what what makes great films and his his has that at the at the highest level. Well, well, we're in good company <laughs> today. Well, that's because, where I feel. Like yeah, <laughs> you two guys, I'm, I'm either preaching to the choir or we're we're kindred uh, kindred spirits. No, and, uh, absolutely. Uh, again, I'm I'm really glad you're doing a a deeper dive than I've done into these these films, and each of them is worth uh, uh, a good deal of attention and uh, getting multiple opinions on uh, uh, ways ways to look at them, and uh, I think it's good. Uh, that uh, you're you're putting yourselves into these uh, as much as you have, and I hope you do even more of that in subsequent ones. Hopefully, some of the other people you invite on won't talk over you as much as I've been. <laughs> no, I, I've been no, doing. No. You get more of a chance yeah. to. Not at all. No, thank you. It, it's such a pleasure. Um, yeah, I'm excited I, to listen to this back just to like yeah. to help us get um, <laughs> you know deeper into the next one. And honestly, uh, yeah, thanks for for helping us get there. Yeah. Well, um, feel free to contact me anytime. Uh, if if we're coming to closure, we don't have to. But uh, uh, my uh, email is posted on my journal too. If anybody has reactions to the films they want to they want to share with me, I'm uh, very accessible by by email. Um, and, uh, maybe just, I don't know how long are you thinking it's going to take you to 
to, to go through the film. <laughs> a few years. Longer than you did, longer than it took you. <laughs> well, if Very you did one a, month, one a month, what is that, like four years? Yeah, so yeah. Maybe, maybe we could be, do a little better than that, but something like that. Well, I that. look forward yeah. to seeing what, what, what you do, what you do with it. Yeah, um, a, a couple quick notes on what you were just saying. For for Canopy, you know, I think, yes, he's been able to survive thus far, but I, I would expect that Canopy has brought in an entirely new significant stream of revenue for him um, being an educational distribution. I, I could see his returns uh, annually being in six figures, uh, allowing him to continue his work. And as you mentioned, being an independent filmmaker, you know, he with his own distribution uh, company and production, um, you know, he, that, that'll probably do him well uh, for the rest of his life. Yeah, uh, I mean, I, I kept thinking all these decades, like when is he gonna be, uh, you know, so well known and accepted and famous that he's not gonna have trouble making the films that, that he wants. But uh, what was it? Crazy Horse was the one he had to go for European distribution because the right. content he knew right away, PBS, would never would never accept you know it's still hard to be an independent filmmaker but if anybody has finally gotten there um you would hope it would be him but his interviews like uh, i'm sure you've you know read the Errol morris ones mm. or even ken burns for a long time it's like uh, it's just so hard to make films when you're branded a documentary filmmaker and right. they think that uh, a, a large commercial audience is not going to be uh, interested in it. That stigma still seems to to be there with Netflix and there aren't, you know, the Certainly. major deals with documentary filmmakers and either Amazon Prime or 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 Netflix. But uh, uh, it's still a terrible ghetto that, that way. Right. And if Wiseman, you know, if it took him all these films uh, to, to, to finally get there. But, but even there, like, uh, what was Boxing Gym the first that had a, a showing in theaters? And that was like a, uh, for a week in art houses and Crazy Horse played a little bit. And, uh, you know, they, they, they don't even, I mean, art houses are their own problem, but um, there just aren't very many commercial uh, outlets for, the, for these films, unfortunately. And everybody should be seeing these. I mean, they should be films that, you, you know, you don't have to love a, uh, an, an obscure topical subject to, to love any of these films. You know, they're very, uh, I think they're on one level, very accessible movies. Uh, um, they're, they're not just made for film scholars or no. people who are only interested in the, the subjects that the films might, might raise. I, uh, uh, I think City Hall is a film any, anybody could uh, go, go see and, and enjoy and find lots of ways to, to, to connect to. Well, that's where another Wiseman preoccupation we didn't touch on, and I, I thought it's great how often it comes up, is he really seems interested in how people entertain themselves, like what their <laughs> recreational activities yeah. are. And in the unlikeliest places, you'll like you'll wind up in an amusement park or you'll wind up in a skating rink or you'll see things that you can't justify thematically, except that Wiseman seems yeah. to seems to be curious about. Oh, people like to do this kind of stuff. I, uh, you know, I want to like. include that. That that started with Canal Zone also, I think. But that's been kind of a yeah. preoccupation all the way through uh, City Hall. I think. It hits certainly hits a high point in the garden, which is like the whole point is right. like the, the whole thing is just leisure. It's uh, incredible. Yeah, you haven't been able to see the garden, have you? Or? We, no, we we've both watched it. Yeah, oh, it'll, it'll become it'll become available widely um, 
hopefully within a year but it's it's floating out there on the internet we will we'll send you an email uh, oh uh, i'm gonna i'm gonna i'm gonna look again you don't, you don't have to send me just telling me that is enough i just didn't even think to look because i thought it just never got any kind of public uh, public screening yeah and and one other film um i'll mention you you were talking earlier about weissman's influence um came out last year called jasper mall um which i guess has the strongest correlation with the store um but you know it, it's a bit more there's a bit more um director dress with with subjects and people they follow but I, but i found visually at least and and maybe even structurally uh, a lot of similarities with weissman i definitely recommend that film oh good i'm gonna look for that well, thanks again for, for coming. Um, this has been a really rich experience. It was fun for me to do. I'm glad to talk with you guys. So thanks a lot for inviting me. Yeah, we'll be in touch. Yeah, thank okay. you, Stephen. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Okay, good. <laughs> it's a still-life watercolor of the now late afternoon as the sun shines through the curtain lace and shadows wash the room. And we sit and drink our coffee couched in our indifference like shells upon the shore you can hear the ocean roar in the dangling conversation and the superficial size the borders of our lives and you read your emily dickinson and i my robert frost and we note our place with bookmarkers and measure what we lost like a poem poorly written we are verses out of rhythm couplets out of rhyme in syncopated time and the dangling conversation and the superficial size are the borders of our lives. Yes, we speak the things that matter with words that must be said. Can analysis be worthwhile? Is the theater really dead? And how the room is softly faded, and I only kiss your shadow. I cannot feel your hand. You're a stranger now unto me, lost in the dangling conversation and the superficial size the borders of our lives.